All right, this week on the pod, it is the one, the only, Ron Baird, the uh, singer of Stalag 13. And uh, anyone that knows my trajectory in punk and hardcore knows how important Stalag 13 was to me, um, especially that first 12-inch EP. You know what it's called. Um, so that's coming up. If you would like to support the show, please like, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And please do that. Um, it's just a very simple, easy way to help the pod. You know, give it five stars. Give it a like. Give it a quick review. You know, you only got to leave like five words or some shit, right? This pod is sick. This pod is cool. Whatever. That is much appreciated. Please do that. Um, if you want to go the extra mile, you can go to patreon.com slash 185 miles south. And uh, you can become a monthly patron and help me out that way. It helps cover the cost of the show. Um, so I can travel around and keep buying equipment. Keep buying fucking memory cards and all the bullshit that fucking sucks buying. Um, my Patreons are my true heroes. I love you all to a man and woman. Um, so yeah, let's... uh. Let's do this shit. It's fucking Ron from Stalag 13. Let's do it. I'm from fucking Oxnard, bitch. Okay, what? What is this? What is this, Oxford? Hundred eighty-five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. All right, this week on the pod we have uh, Ron Baird from Stalling Thirteen, <clears throat> and uh, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for um, having me on your podcast. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, and you're living out where now? So I, I live in Melbourne, Australia. So it's, um, I, I guess, the second most populous um, city in, in, in Australia. So it's in, in Victoria, um, on the south southeast coast of, of Australia. Okay. And for a while, weren't you living out on the west side? No, no, no. I've never lived. I've, I've, there. I've lived here pretty much since 1989, yeah. Oh, crazy. It's all in Melbourne, yeah. Okay. Although I've I've been back to the U.S. quite a bit, and um, actually I lived in the U.S. for six months last year because my wife was um, on sabbatical leave at UC Berkeley. Cool. So, yeah. Ron, what year did you get into punk and hardcore? Oh God, man. Okay, now I'm stretching the imagine. I'm stretching my memory here, but I, I would say roughly around about seventy nine, nineteen seventy nine. Okay. And do you remember how and, you came across yeah. it? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, it was, you know, one of those phenomena you, you started to see, you know, I'd heard of the Sex Pistols. And I mean, it really was, I, I went to the supermarket with my mom and I was looking at an issue. I think it was Cream Magazine or something. And um, there was an article on the Sex Pistols because, you know, I, I, you know and, and, and I'd read that and I was, you know, and it mentioned The Clash and The Damned and a couple of other bands. And I was like... Okay, that that's it. I'm punk, you know. Yeah. And um, it just, it just captured my imagination, you know. I, I suppose I've been 
I don't know, looking for an identity. I was, you know, I'd always been really into music, you know, I was really into Ted Nugent, Cheap Trick at the time. And, um, yeah, just, I don't know, something about, you know, punk, you know, that kind of, uh, I, I, I guess, gritty street kind of, you know, that, that F.U. culture kind of grabbed my attention, you know. Yeah, so the attitude grabbed you first, and then do you remember what you yeah. what you listened to, like what you sunk your teeth into first? No, it was definitely all that English punk I just mentioned. I, I, yeah. I think I went down to you know to the local mall, and uh, the uh, the first record I bought was um, uh, it's a it's it, it's a Clash um, like a little ten inch EP, okay, um, with Bank Robber on it and uh, White Riot, you know, it's, it, and um, yeah, it was, that was the first record I bought. And then it was, yeah, a collection. I, you know, I bought Anarchy in the UK. I bought, um, you know, the, the Damned Machine Gun Etiquette. And then, you know, and then from there I started branching out. I, I think the first kind of U.S. punk record I bought was X. Mm-hmm. So, um, X, you know, the, the, the famous one with the, the flaming X on the cover. Um, I think it was titled Los Angeles, remember? That's right. Yeah, that was my, yeah. And that was actually my first real punk show. Was actually seeing X at the um, in Santa Barbara at the State Street Theater. Cool. So, and that's where and the, and and, that, and that's where I met actually. That's where I met Ismael Hernandez and Jaime Hernandez. You know, like Jaime from Love and Rockets and Ismael from you know Doctor No and and various other bands and. And they, they kind of then really kind of got me into the scene. Yeah, and where were you living at that time? So, I mean, funnily enough, I, I don't even come from Oxnard. Um, I'm from um, Port Wainini, California, which is right. It's kind of surrounded by Oxnard. Sure. But it's a little it's a little town right on the beach there. So, um, yeah, that's where I was living at the time, yeah. Yeah, and who do, you, who do you go up to that X show with? Like, you have other friends that are already into punk rock? no. <laughs> Um, nah, I mean, you know, yeah, you know, cause I was pretty young then. I, I think, uh, shit, 79, or, uh, I'd probably have been about 15, 14 or 15. So my mom drove me. Awesome. <laughs> like the most, the most unpunk thing ever. No, I don't know. I think that's cool because that means that you had to like vouch to your mom that you were that big of a fan, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My, look, my, my parents were pretty cool. You know, they, you know, they were very lefty and progressive and, and look, and I was the last, I was the, I'm the youngest of five kids. So I think, you know, I, I kind of got an easy ride. It was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Whatever you're, you know, you, you, you're into it. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. you know? That's so cool. And so how, how did you yeah. meet like, uh, Ismail and, and his brothers? Like, uh, funnily enough, it was like, I went to the show, I, I you know, I, I worked my way, you know, I was right in the, you know, in, in the, in the pit and right up the front and just. I mean, I don't even think I marched. I think I just kind of got right to the front of the stage and was just in awe of, you know, this, this music. And and then it was it wasn't until after the show. I my I think my mom and I we stopped at Seven Eleven uh-huh. and um I, you know to grab a, a coke or something. And and um and Ismail and 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 I and some others were you know I guess doing the same thing. And um I think it was Ismail who said to me like, oh, hey, you know um. You know, I think I've seen you. You know, walking down Ventura Road, and, and I go, yeah, yeah, you know, and 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 so Ismail spoke to me, and he, and he said, oh, I'll meet my meet my brother, and you know, and and so it was just yeah, just seven eleven, you know, and so I, I kind of met those guys there, yeah, yeah, it's so cool, and yeah, and and so then uh, 
it's just it's a couple years of of going to shows before you decide to do your own band. Yeah, pretty much. You know, uh, it, you know, a lot, initially a lot of parties, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, I have to give a shout out to Mike Hickey too. So, um, so he's he's Mark Hickey's uh, little brother um, okay. from Aggression, and he, I was um, I went to junior high with him, and um, and 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 he kind of you know he introduced me to Mark as well. So this was all kind of happening at the same time, like around the next show time as well, and so. Um, I the, um I went to a party in Ventura. So initially it was a lot of parties. So I went to a party in Ventura where aggression was playing, and that's where I met a whole heap of other people. So it was, yeah, mainly parties and shows. So um, um yeah, for for a couple of years, so seventy nine, eighty, probably eighty one. Yeah, and eighty one, I was really thinking, yeah, yeah, I want to do something. You know, like it's you know, because I mean that's the whole thing about the culture. It's like, hey, you know, you don't have to just watch your idols; you can be your own idol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no barrier to entry. That's a great thing about it. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Or do you? So yeah. So it was. You know. No, just, sorry. Go ahead. No, just going back. I, I like to talk about the early days because I wasn't there, and uh, a yeah, lot yeah, of sure. a lot of the, the listeners weren't. So, uh, any other standout shows like in those early '80s, and and what what was a show like in Santa Barbara in like 1980, and what is like a house party uh, show in Ventura like in 1981? Yeah. Like. Uh, um, you know, just awesome. Uh, you know, the energy, like in Santa Barbara, it was the Goleta Valley Community Center. And then a little bit later, like this place called La Casa de la Raza mm-hmm. um, on the east side of Santa Barbara. And the shows were just, man, full on energy. And probably like, if I'll say a highlight show, you know, I don't know. Um, it was a bad brand. And so it might not be 80, maybe 81. And the the Bad Brands played Goleta Valley Community Center, and that was just off tap, man. Like just the, the energy, the yeah, you know, it's, it's just crazy, man. You know the you know, but like you know, everyone looking after each other, but just you know, the moss pit so intense, and yeah, just just you know, just that high octane, high energy. You yeah, know? yeah. And then how many? It was we, just so fun. Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I can't imagine getting to see the Bad Brains in like '81. That's insane. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Oh, they're and you know, and, and great human beings, you know. Like, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I know, you know shit's come out after about, you know, like because I, I know there was some shit went down between them and the big boys around. They were a little bit yeah. Homophobic. That was a little later. But, we we can we can think that they yeah. were one hundred percent pure when they played Santa Barbara in eighty one. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, just. I mean, just total energy, total, you know, it, 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 I just felt alive, man. You know, that's all like, you know, that was like some of my happiest times, you know, or, yeah, just being a show. And, you know, in the parties, man, I mean, it depended on the party, you know, it was, um, you know, somewhere there was bands playing, it was really cool, but often it was, you know, it was just kind of hanging out and, and, and talking and sharing stories and, you know, and sharing knowledge. And I guess in many respects, looking back, you know, it's kind of like learning the subculture, you know, you're, you know, because I mean, one one of the places we used to hang out a lot in Ventura was this, um, Art and Joey, so Art Pina and Joey Pina, and um, they were kind of stalwarts of the scene. You know, a fair bit old. I mean, a fair bit old. I don't even know how old they are, but you know, like I said, I would have been fifteen. They had their own apartments and jobs, so they probably would have been in their twenties. You know, sure. And um, you know, we used to just go and hang out there, man, till all hours of the night. You know, like two, three, four in the morning, sleep there. You know. 
And, um, you know, I'm just talking shit and, and hanging out. And then other parties, you know, there's bands playing and, you know, and, you know, and kind of just a real local energy. But, you know, and I used to have heaps of parties at my house. Like my parents were really down with, with the whole scene and were, you know, like really, you know, open and friendly with all my friends. And, you know, like, you know, they knew. I mean, they pretty much knew everybody, you know. I mean, Big Bob from Aggression used to live. And we had a granny flat behind our house, like a little small place behind and, and him and CC used to live there for quite a while and they aggression used to practice there and then always in Dr. No for a little while too which is probably uh, an un oh I guess a, a very obscure fact I was in Dr. No for a little while for a few months and, and did you did you sing yeah sorry. yeah yeah cool what what year would that have been yeah. oh god probably yeah uh, 80 81 around there yeah so like infancy probably 80 yeah the yeah, infancy of Doctor yeah, No. Yeah, yeah it was. Um, it was. It was at that stage. It was. I mean, Carl Toucher was Doctor No, so it was Carl Toucher, Ismael Hernandez. So Carl Toucher on on guitar and Ismael on bass, and then they had a guy named Robin, Robin, Robin something. <laughs> yeah. Um, on drums. No, when, and when then I see, yeah, I sang for a little while. Sure. When Brandon was on the pod, I think uh, he went through. Is like I was the fifth, the ninth, the seventeenth singer, Doctor No. So yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. Think, there was, they had a lot of them. They had a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, I can't even remember. You know, I remember there was some guy Mark for a while who was a, kind of a I don't know. He he looked like Morris actually. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun to leather pants. <laughs> he sang with them for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what happened to that dude, but <laughs> <laughs> but that's how you and, got your uh, you got your chops a little bit. Sorry. You got your chops a little bit though, like in that. If that's yeah. the first time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was the kind of the first time I went, oh, hey, this is, you know, I can do this shit, you know, like, and, cause I'd always, you know, look, uh, like I said, I'd always into music. I'd, I was always singing, you know, and, and you know, I used to play trombone and, and that song, you know, in, in um, the junior high band and shit like that. And, but, um, yeah, that was kind of my first, my first foray into, you know, taking a mic. And then I played in a band that was, um, for, for uh, that was for a little while, for probably about six months or so. It was just a, it was Ismael Hernandez on bass, Rick Heller, one like the the, the kind of the the, the well known original drummer from Doctor No. Sure. Um, and yeah, so it's, yeah, and I think Ismael was Ismael might have played guitar or something, but because I know Jaime played bass and or maybe Gilbert played guitar actually, his, his other brother Gilbert. Yeah. Hernandez. Um. And it was this band called Ape Sex, and it was kind of a, just a, a jokey band. And uh, I remember we played at a party. I think I think we just kind of like they started jamming, and I picked up the mic, and we we just started, you know, we kind of just make up shit. And and then we we actually were doing it as a band for a little while. And I remember we would, you know, we you know we'd just make up crap as we went. Like there was, you know, we had a song called "There's a Big Light Bulb in Jaime's Living Room" because he had this big light bulb. And, <laughs> <laughs> and and that was just kind of fun, like just you yeah. know. And I, I think we just played a played a couple of parties. You, you never recorded, yeah. Nah, we never recorded. So this would have been yeah, about eighty eighty one. That's yeah. a pretty savage name, though. You know, if you like, yeah. if yeah, you was, viscerally think about yeah. ape sex, you know. Yeah, ape sex. Yeah, yeah. I think that was I mean, I came up with it. Yeah, well, that's great. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was classic. Yeah. So are you and, um, are you a part of of forming Stalag or do they form and then they find you? Okay, or, no, I you know th- this is one thing I'd like to 
you know, get out in the public. I mean, I think it kind of is known, but, um, you know, you know, not, you know, I, I'm totally happy with those guys still playing, but I mean, I just want it on record. I am Spellick 13, you know, I mean, it sounds arrogant or whatever, but it was, you know, kind of my band, my vehicle, my, you know, vision, you know, I, I was the, the, the founding member, the driver, the manager, the merchandiser, you know, I did kind of everything for that band. Um, and I mean, the, the funny thing is, is like this band that's kind of known that we recorded with. So, um, you know, Blake and Larry and, and, um, John Morris and, um, it, it was Dave Casillas, but he's, you know, long battle with drugs that he still has. And <laughs> that's why they booted him out this time again. But, um, that's kind of the second iteration of the band. The, the first band was, um, uh, my really good mate. Uh, Eric, what was his name? Uh, you know, my good mate, and I can't even remember his name. Um, but, uh, God, what can we, I remember? We can say a, a dude named Eric. Yeah, a dude named Eric. Um, on, oh, not Eric, sorry. Fuck, man, I'm really kind of stretching my brain here. Carl Winrich was his name. Okay. Carl. Yeah, so Carl Winrich was on guitar. And there was a guy who's still around, Chuck Collison, but he went by Chuck um, Chuck Steak at the time. Okay. So Chuck Steak was on bass, and this guy Kevin Lundberg on drums. So that's the original Stolic 13. And we actually recorded, and um, oh, it was like a demo tape with about, I don't know, like 20 songs on it. And that some of the, a few of those songs came out on the Doctor Strange um re-release the cd re-release okay and it was also not not 20 but maybe nine songs or so they got bootlegged onto a seven inch of your demo as well yeah 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 that's that's right okay so that that demo is with that lineup so that demo is with that lineup yeah so that was yeah so yeah carl winrich on guitar chuck steak on bass kevin lundberg on drums and myself on vocals and that was um it was me and me and um me and Carl started the band because we were hanging out a lot in kind of 81. And um, we used to practice at his dad's house in North Oxnard or downtown Oxnard. He lives in this kind of nice old colonial house. And um, yeah, it was, um, yeah, so it was initially me and Carl. And then I think maybe, um, I think um, Israel from Israel from False Confessions might have played bass for a little while or might have even sang because I was because initially I was the drummer okay so I was drumming and I was drumming yeah Carl was on guitar and then um yeah I think Israel either playing bass or might have been singing it's kind of all vague and I remember we played um we played a party with that lineup where where I was drumming and um and then I, I think Israel you know left or yeah something or another and um and we basically we couldn't find a singer. We'd gotten Chuck on bass, and we couldn't find a singer. And I said, Ah, you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna sing because you know I'm kind of a, a you know a gregarious out there sort of person, and I don't want to be stuck behind a drum kit. So I started singing, and we got this guy Kevin Lundberg from Ventura. And so that was the that was the first lineup, and we played. I mean, we, that lineup was I don't know about a year, probably. 80, you know, into '82, end of '82, and we played our first you know, kind of big show um, up at the the roller drum. So the the Thunderbirds roller drum. So roller, you know, roller derby establishment up in 
in East Los Angeles with Circle, Circle One organized this big two-day kind of festival. And, you know, I think the Circle Jerks were playing and, you know, a whole bunch of, you know, like a whole bunch of bands. And, yeah, we played with that line up there. Was your demo out at that and point? Then, was your demo out at that um, point? Yeah, our, our, our demo was out at that point. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know, like I, I was, you know, reproducing that thing as quick as I could and just kind of giving it to anybody and everybody. And Yeah, so let's, you know, let's talk a little bit. One of them made it to Brazil. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I just I want to talk about the demo. Um, just moving back a yeah. little bit. So, cool. going in and, and recording it, where did you record the demo at? So we recorded it at this studio in um, East Ventura, uh, West Ventura, West Ventura, East Ventura. Uh, I think East Ventura, called Goldmine Studio. Okay. And it was just uh, you know like a a recording studio in a like a, a, a kind of like an industrial estate you know i think there was some you know panel beater shops around you know like um you know auto repair shops and so it was kind of good they they tended to you know operate at in the evening so all these businesses were closed yeah and that's the same and, place um, that Il- yeah, we, that's where ill repute did their demo as well yeah yeah i think pretty much everybody at that time did their because they had a deal like it was you know like you know 200 bucks, you know, mixed down as much as, you know, like eight hours of studio time. Yeah. And, you know, so as much songs as you could kind of fit in and mixed and mastered, you know, for, for 200 bucks or 300 bucks or something, you know, it's pretty cheap for the time. And so, yeah, that's where we recorded our demo. Yeah. And I think, you know, there was quite a few songs because our songs were pretty short then, you know, like, you know, we were kind of who's could do in it, you know, kind of, you know, 51 seconds, a minute and three, minute and 30. Yeah, well, well, Stalag, especially for the demo, I mean, you're definitely influenced by the early U.S. hardcore stuff more so than like, uh, you know, Doctor No is a little more influenced by the 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 second wave of the U.K. like the Discharge type stuff. Yeah, yeah and, yeah, and totally, aggression totally. is maybe a little more. It's like a, it, I don't know. It's the first wave of American hardcore as well. It's like a, well, they were a bit older too, they were. so they were you know had more rock influences. Stuff, you know, where we were like, you know, I mean, we were little kids. I was probably the oldest person in the band at that stage, and I was like 18. You know? Yeah, and you just come in like blazing. Blake, when he joined us, yeah. You come yeah. in blazing with these super and, short, fast songs. Yeah. And I mean, and, and look, I'll tell you who I kind of just loved and emulated at the time was um, definitely Huskudi. Like, fucking loved them. Loved them. Black Flag, you know, loved them. Minor Threat, you know, totally into them you know a lot of that east coast hardcore you know the necros uh ssd marginal man government issue all of those bands you know so that's really kind of what what you know where i kind of you know sunk my teeth into that's what i was listening to on high rotation you know and even bands like the middle class you know i I got that middle class seven inch and just that short sharp burst of just you know just you know just gritty reality, you know, and the lyrics, just pure kind of social commentary, you know, the middle class are uh, what unsung heroes of, you know, Southern California punk, you know? Yeah. Well, and, I mean, it's, um, it's, yeah, debatable, it's, a deb- it's debatable of what the first hardcore record is, right? It's either the, the bad yeah. brains or that middle class yeah. seven inch of who went that fast. Yeah. 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 And yeah. So that, that's kind of, yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, I always say like, you know, yeah, I say I'm a punk, but I always say, you know, <clears throat> hardcore, you know, I mean, for me, that was like that first, it was that transition from punk into hardcore. So it was kind of, you know, we were leaving that kind of 77 vibe behind. 
because that really wasn't my scene. I mean, I was really into bands. You know, I mean, I really liked and appreciated bands like the Gears and, you know, the Controllers and all that. But with, that was really kind of a, you know, particular type of Hollywood kind of 77 influence, you know, uh, uh, American punk rock. Whereas I really kind of, you know, say that was the juncture, you know, kind of 82 was that, yeah, we were kind of, you know, this is hardcore, you know, and that, that's, you know, kind of where I position myself, you know. Yeah, and are you running with the strange thing at this point, at the demo time? So at the demo time, yeah. Like, it's, it's um, initially, look, you know, I'll tell you, initially I had a short, sharp stint of, um, you know, kind of alcohol abuse and drug abuse. You know, there was, there was a period... You know, it was it was very short. I remember probably twelve to eighteen months. You know, probably fourteen, fifteen into you know uh, into my late fifteen, and um, you know that early entry into where I was just you know drunk all the time, high all the time, on LSD a lot, and you know it was um, you know and it was like a friend of mine. Well, John Fenn, you know, was a really close friend of mine, and um, you know, and he was always straight. Like he didn't become straight edge. He just never drank or never did drugs, you know. He was just a, you know, surf kid who was clean and, you know, very, you know, kind of athletic, you know, physical guy. And, um, you know, and, and he was kind of like, you know, encouraged me, hey, man, maybe you should, you know, not be doing that shit. And um, it was when, though, when I heard Minor Threat, you know, like that first seven inch, it was, you know, I mean, I've talked about this before on another interview, but it was like a, you know, a religious experience. You know, that's how I can really put it. It was like an epiphany. Like, you know, I heard, you know, the song Straight Edge and I was like, I think from that moment I said, I'm not drinking, I'm not smoking, I'm not doing this shit, you know. And um, so, yeah, so going into that recording. So I think when I started Starlight 13, I was probably still, you know, drinking. But yeah, definitely by the time we hit the studio to do that, I was, yeah, on, you know, kind of claiming Straight Edge, yeah. Yeah, and, and Stalag is the first straight-edge band out of California, is that correct? That is, I think, yeah, a documented fact. Yeah, that's, um, I don't know if you know Ryan Hansler's, um, he, he's, uh, he was a straight-edge punk from the Denver scene, um, and he, he, he's a sociologist now, and he wrote a, an ethnographic study <clears throat> kind of in the 90s, but of the Denver, um, Denver hardcore scene and, you know, the straight-edge subculture. And um, he has us listed in his, he's got a timeline of um, straight edge bands and he has us listed as the first, you know, California or West Coast straight edge band. So I, I think uh, we can definitely, um, you know, claim that. Yeah. Because we, you know, we came before Uniform Choice and, um, of course, you know, yeah. So, so the, the, which you are, you know, who are great guys, you know. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think I think that it goes Stalag number one, America's Hardcore is second, and yeah, then uh, yeah. and, and, and then, then Justice League. Oh, it's Justice League. Yeah, I was gonna say. Who yeah, are you thinking? Totally. Well, probably, um, probably, yeah, definitely America's Hardcore and, and Justice League, probably at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, and then then yeah, the, then the were, Unities yeah. and the Uniform Choices come. Yeah, 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 and and Unity were, or again another, you know, they they were an awesome thing. Yeah, seven inch like is amazing. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, everyone, if you don't and have then, the Unity seven yeah. inch, you got to go buy it. Indecisionrecords.com. It's yeah. still it's still in press. So send send Dave your oh, money. Oh really? Yeah. I've still got an I've got an original. Well, yeah. you're the man. Yeah, I got I got yeah, the repress. I got, I, I got a lot of 
sitting around on a lot of originals. Like I've, I've got an, an original pressing of um, of um, In My Eyes and an original pressing of the initial Minor Threat 7-inch. I had an initial pressing of um, The Kids Will Have Their Say by SSC, and some bastards stole it. I got the sleeve, but oh. um, yeah. It was like my daughter was going through a vinyl the other day, and she goes, hey, how, how, how come there's no record in this? And I go, because some scumbag stole it at a party. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. So do you but, see um, do you see yeah. the stalling popularity like you put out the demo you're pushing it everywhere. Well first off what what is the art on the demo? I'm assuming it's not the same as the bootleg. Is it is it the is it a Hernandez brother drawing? On the um no on the on the bootleg is a Brian Walsby. Um that that's a Brian Walsby drawing. I think I think it's no yeah. I think it's a one of uh I don't think it's a Walsby. I think I think it's a Hernandez brother of like it's kind of like that uh death rock looking band and they're kind of fighting the crowd okay yeah i mean look to be quite honest i don't have a copy of the bootleg i've seen it yeah i'll send you a photo i don't have a copy yeah so what did did the demo look like so the demo man it was just a cassette man like we never had you didn't do covers you just passing out a cassette i think i think when i when i i I think i did a photo copy cover that you know just to kind of stall it you know that was it that's sick you know it had it had that, um, you know, it had that, you know, that Germanic, you know, kind of writing, you know, mm-hmm. that, and that was, you know, all Hyman, man, because he, I mean, you know, he did everything. He's like the unsung, well, I mean, you know, he is, he is sung, but like, you know, the hero of, of Nardcore, man. I mean, he kind of did all this art for free. And, you know, like sometimes I feel really bad. Like I would go, you know, I'd love to just kind of gift him some cash or something because, I mean, you know, really, he's kind of got nothing from that. And, you know, and it was punk, man. Nothing was, you know, we didn't think about copyright and all that shit. We just put stuff out, you know. And, um, yeah, it was. I remember when I approached, because we had a couple of different styles of, of writing it at the time. Like, we had this kind of Husker Du ripoff one where um, it was kind of all black and then in kind of block writing with Skullic 13 and then the, the this kind of black block was crumbling and kind of cracked through it kind of like you know how whisker do had the crack through their name and sure um you know but that kind of didn't stick and there, there was you know it was really that that kind of you know that riding that's on in control that kind of stuck and and i mean um and Jaime had done that pretty early like in the piece probably 82 83 because the i mean you know now i mean you might know more than me but i'm pretty sure the album came out in 80 or the EP, you know, in control. Yeah, the LP came, came out. Yeah, four, I think. Yeah. Twelve inch EP in yeah. eighty four. Yeah, yeah, but we'll, yeah. I think I'm pretty sure it was early eighty four because we are. I remember doing like lyrical overdubs in kind of December of the of eighty three. <clears throat> okay, so you, the the next thing that comes out after the demo is the song "Selfish." It's on the "We Got Power" uh, compilation LP. Yeah, in eighty three, yeah, is that yeah. just a, is that just a song off the demo, or did you go record that separately? It's, no, we were. Um, uh, I, no, I think we. Did. I think it's just off the demo, man. Yeah, yeah, and that's a that's yeah, a really good comp. early Mystic yeah. comp. I mean, nineteen eighty three yeah. is is early for them, and it's curated by the guys that did yeah. that zine, though. The we got yeah, power, the, like um, yeah, Dave Markey, um, Jordan Short. I think um, Phil, you know, those kind of Sin 34, those Santa Monica guys, you know, and, and gals. You know. Do you see your yeah, popularity surge a little bit after like the demos out there and, and, you know, you have this song on a big compilation? Yeah, hell yeah. 
yeah, yeah. totally. And you're, you're playing what circuit? And also, yeah. You're playing. And also, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, the phone stuff's hard. We step on each other. I haven't. Yeah. I'm still an amateur. I'm uh, trying to figure out the timing. No, no, no. It's it, it's just good synergy and talking. You know, we're. You know, I mean, look, because I get you know so excited talking about this shit. No, I'm excited too. I mean, oh you're one of my favorite bands ever. So. Yeah. Um, oh, thank you. What what circuit is Stalag playing? The demo comes out. You do this song. You're playing kind of Santa Barbara to L.A. Do you ever go down to San Diego? So, um, now we never, now we never got down. I don't think we ever played San Diego. To be <laughs> quite honest, we we played. Um, you know, we were playing deep into Orange County. Okay. You know, like uh, you know, I, I can't even remember. Like Seamus O'Brien's. I remember. I think it took us like fuck two hours to get there. Sure. Know? I don't even know where that is. I don't know, it's Torrance or Anaheim or past Anaheim. You know, somebody will probably know, but there was this place called Seamus O'Brien. We played there with Articles of Faith, and that was um, that was fucking awesome. There was like 30 people there, and it was on, like a fucking awesome show. Yeah. And um, we got interviewed that night in Flip for Flipside. Oh, cool. Sal and Hud interviewed us that night, yeah. Yeah. That was really cool. Well, I mean, that's... And that really fucking... That, like so that's so to answer your question about what we were playing <clears throat> we were playing mercilessly mm-hmm. like we were all about i mean we weren't touring i mean as far as you know going interstate but we were playing like you know as far as to the outer regions of orange county um you know anywhere in that southern california greater los angeles you know up in santa barbara up in galeta ventura oxnard you know um you know, of San Gabriel, you know, and I mean, some of the venues, but we really played like at, um, at, uh, fuck, why does everything escape, you know, in Hollywood, the famous kind of, the Cathedral Grand, down, the Cathedral Grand, yeah. that was like our, our, our practice room, practically, apart from my parents' garage. Like we would play there, you know, shit, sometimes like two, three times a week, you know, like Wednesday night. You know what? You know whatever. We we played there so many times, Cathedral Grand, but also the um, Sportsman's Valley, or the the in in the San Fernando Valley, the um, there was this place called the Sportsman's Lodge in this really dodgy part of the like the East San Fernando Valley. You know, where there's a lot of gangs, man, a lot of a lot of homeboys, and, but a great venue. And you know, we played there. You know, we played there with Seven Seconds. We played there with SSD. We played there with. Um, you know, oh, fuck, man, a lot of bands, you know, so we, you know, but we, so we were just playing mercilessly, you know, pretty much just that kind of greater LA kind of Southern California area. But, you know, we were playing, you know, definitely Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then, you know, often, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday. So it was really, we just had this kind of surge of, of, of just, you know, prolifically playing. And then the other thing I was really into was the DIY thing. So, um, you know, I'm you know, like made stickers, just kind of photocopied on, you know, double-sided A4, you know, and actually laminated them with, you know, like book contact and then cut them. And so I would spend, you know, <clears throat> days just kind of pumping out these stickers and just giving them away to everybody and giving cassettes away, you know, because um, my brother at that stage was working at, um, uh, you know, it was one of these like a $2 shop those variety stores and he used to pinch cassettes for me so, like he'd bring me boxes of cassettes so i would just duplicate and i would just give them to you know anybody like here's a sticker have a you know have a cassette have a you know yeah and um 
yeah. And it was just that really kind of, I guess, aggressive direct marketing, yeah, <laughs> you know, just, and, and, and just playing all the time, you know? Yeah. And so when we were at show, when we would go to shows, cause we were really, you know, active as well as the scene as far as, you know, going to see bands, you know, like I loved going to see bands. So we, usually when we'd go to see a band, we'd be flyering as well as, you know, so handing out flyers, handing out stickers. And, and it was really that, that I think kind of just really kind of gave us this upsurge of support. Cause you know, like looking back and, you know, talking to, to people and having been interviewed, you know, I, I just go, you know, at that time, you know, we just had this huge following, you know, where we would start to, you know, go where we would play a hall show in, in, in LA. And there would be, you know, there'd be like, you know, hundreds of people there to see us, you know, and the gigs started getting bigger, you know, and, um, yeah, it was, you know, it was intense, you know? Um, and also, like, you know, it was... yeah, well, well, we talk about like one of the reasons why we all get into the music is, you know, the, there's not that much of a barrier to entry. Like the people in the bands are the kids. And so maybe that resonated with people. If you're always at the shows, you're younger guys, you know, it's like whether you're playing or not, you're just always there. And if, uh, if you're yeah. likable characters, you're yeah. an easy band to, to gr- latch onto. Yeah. 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 Totally. Cause I remember, um, like those, the guys from Justice League, you know, they, they just came up to me one time after the show and said, oh, man, we love your band, women's band, Justice League, gave me a tape, gave me a T-shirt. And we started playing shows with those guys. And, they, and again, they were, you know, a bit younger. Like, it was kind of cool. Like, I, I, when I was in Berkeley last year, I caught up with Ron Hoffman. Not as much as I would have liked. I think I only saw him twice. And we had all these plans to go, you know, to shows and stuff. But I was super busy because I was finishing my Ph.D., and, um, yeah, so I just kind of had all these writing deadlines and, and, um, you know, sorry, not last year it was 2018, actually 2018. I'm kind of getting, cause we're in 2020 now. So yeah, it was in the kind of July to December, 2018. Cause Ryan Hoffman from justice league lives up in Danville now. Yeah. So just kind of just 20 minutes out of, um, out of, um, Berkeley. And so, yeah, like I said, we caught up and had lunch and, you know, and, and, and that was awesome. And then we were, we were going to go and see a Stripe show and he hooked up, you know, us getting into free. It was, you know, it was at the, um, what's that famous Gilman punk venue and Gilman. Yeah. I was at the Gilman and, and, you know, and, and then I ended up like, I couldn't go because like, yeah. I had this writing deadline. I had to have a chapter done and my supervisor was like, you got to have this chapter done, you know, and, and, you know, and so, yeah, but, um, but yeah, those guys in Justice League were just awesome. And, you know, and then another, like, you know, and I mean, I, I guess I'd like to see ourselves as we were very friendly, open, approachable guys. And I was always down for anybody like supporting people coming up. And, and, um, I remember Fat Mike from No Effects, man, he used to always come to our shows. And I remember when he started No Effects, he came to see us at some show in Orange County. And he's got, hey, Ron, man, I'm, you know, I started this band, man, called No Effects. And I'm like, awesome. Because he, before that, like, he was really into the scene. And he had, like, you know, fanzines and, you know, some early record thing and, you know, promoting shows. He was always really active. And I remember when he started No Effects, and I was like, that's so cool, Mike, you know, that's awesome. And, you know, and like, they've gone on to, you know, fuck, you know, just be huge, you know? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so... So you start having a little bit of member changes because the sound changes. There's a big difference between the demo and the in control 12 inch. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. What what yeah. goes into that? Do you think does some of the who, who's writing the songs on the demo compared to who's writing the songs on the LP musically? 
Okay, all the songs on the demo were written by Carl Winrich okay. and Chuck and Chuck Chuck Collins and Chuck Chuck Stank. So he he wrote, um, yeah, he he wrote a few of them, but yeah, mainly it was like Carl and I were kind of the you know like you know we would we would go to his house, we would sit down. So this is for the demo. We'd go to his house, sit down, you know, just kind of jam it out, and he'd go, oh yeah, I've got this riff, and I, you know, and I was just always writing. You know? I mean, for me, like. <clears throat> lyrics are nothing but poetry and I was just always writing, you know, and, sure. um, and, you know, and then I'd go, Oh yeah, I've got this, you know, bit that fits that. And, you know, and so that, that's, that's who wrote the songs there. And then, I mean, what happened with, I mean, I'll just give you a quick, you know, quick for me, cause I know I like to talk a lot. Um, we, uh, we went to some party. Oh, was that, um, it was that, uh, um, Jimmy Callahan's house for the bass player for ill repeat. His parents were away. Um, you know, I don't know, on holiday or something. And, and he had, you know, there, it was like, there was a party there every night. And, um, we went to this party and, um, and Chuck and Carl were there and, and they were both off their faces on LSD, you know, high as a fucking kite. And, um, and I, you know, I didn't know this initially, you know, and, and I get there and I'm trying to talk like, oh yeah, we, you know, we need to do this. We need to do that. I was kind of trying to have a bit of a band meeting at this party and they're like, you know, fucking laughing, fucking up. And then they start running from me and like and hiding from me. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I go, these guys are just, you know, they, they were just, you know, really upsetting me. And I just go, you know what? You guys, you're out of the band. Fuck off. I don't want to see you. You, you, you're, you're gone. You know? So it was literally, you know, in, in, two, in, in two seconds, flat, it's just me and yeah. I've got a drummer. And, um, and then ironically, I've, you know, I went into some room, you know, cause I was pissed off and, you know, and, 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 um, you know, started talking to some folks and Blake was there. And I, I don't know if I had mentioned to some, I, I, I just kicked them guys out of the band, man. They're, they're, they're just doing my head in, you know? And, um, I started talking to Blake and Blake's going, Oh yeah, I play guitar. And I go, Oh yeah. And he's like, you know, and we kind of hit it off. I mean, I kind of knew Blake, you know, a little bit, but you know, you like, he's, Again, he's, I mean, at this stage, he's probably like four years younger than me. So not somebody I would normally hang out with because I think at this stage I'm like 18 and he's, you know, like 14. And, but I knew him. Yeah, because, yeah, I think I'd mentioned to Brandon. Like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, these guys are, you know, pissing me off. And he goes, oh, yeah, Blake plays guitar. And so I think I would talk about, anyways, long story short, that night, Blake became the guitarist. So, um, you know, again, I'm time-wise, this is probably – early 82 i would imagine okay um yeah or sometime in 82 and um and and so blake joins the band so it's me blake and um kevin lundberg and we you know we kind of start jamming and um then um kevin's kind of like yeah you know yeah, whatever and kind of you know he just kind of drifts away from the band and you know i, I think it was more kind of starting to get into more i don't know gothy dancey type stuff with and so he left, and then so it's me and Blake, and then we auditioned this guy Ricky Bowersock on bass, and um, just this kind of young kid from Ventura, and so he joins the band, and um, and he was awesome. Ricky is a great guy, but just a bit unstable. Like he, I think his family background was single dad raising him, and you know him and his dad didn't get on. And I think he he bailed, and he was like living on the streets in Santa Barbara for a little while, and and so it was kind of hard getting him to practice. But he was in the band for a while. And it's and so it was me, Blake, and this guy Ricky on bass, and then we got this guy Joel Liebke from Thousand Oaks on drums, and he was an awesome drummer. 
Um, and he was a real powerhouse drummer. And so that probably changed the sound. I mean, A, Blake started, Blake was the primary songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, I think he picked up a lot of, uh, a lot of riffs or kind of, you know, maybe leftover stuff from Henry from Aggression because Henry was, you know, um, Blake's sister, Mandy's long, you know, they, they were, they were partners for a long time. Sure. And so Henry, I think had lived at their house for a little while. So I, I think, you know, some of those riffs may have been like leftovers from Henry, but, um, Blake was the kind of the main songwriter, you know, musically. And then I was always lyrically, although I did write, um, in control was my one musical credit. I, I wrote the, wrote the music for in control. That's good. Kind of fucking ran on the bass. Yeah. One day. And yeah, and, and so and then yeah, so I think it was having Joel, this real powerhouse drummer, and then and then Blake and Ricky. But then there was a number of changes. So that lineup that I just described to you, that we played Shameless O'Brien's with Articles of Faith. We got interviewed by Flipside, things were really going, moving. Ricky left after a while, I'm not sure how long, maybe six, nine months, and then we got this guy Ben Arianis in for a little while from Ventura. And he actually has a songwriting credit on In Control. Um, he wrote, well, I can't even remember what the song is, but he wrote one of the songs on there. And, um, and he, he was kind of short-lived. And there was a few changes, and then Joel left, because he just surfed too much, that guy. Like, great drummer, nice guy, but just he was always surfing. And um, at that stage, we got... So then John Morris kind of joined the band at that stage, so... He, he, he lived in Oxnard Shores, and again, I think Blake knew him, and I kind of vaguely knew him from the scene and, you know, from various parties, and he joined the band, and then he brought Dave. Well, Dave Casillas, he was a funny one, because I hung around with him a lot, too, at, you know, in, in and out, because Dave was actually, actually, Dave Casillas was the guy who introduced me to Carl Winrich. Sorry, this interview's all over the place. No, it's so great, I'm, it's I'm great. Trying to, I'm trying to piece this history together. Well, you're filling, um, you're filling in the gaps between the records, at least. Like, I, I always thought yeah. that Joey Libke played on the demo. You, you thought who Joey Libke played on the demo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. So see, you're clearing it up. Yeah. So don't don't think you're throwing out too much information. Yeah. I'm learning, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so it was actually, so Dave, yeah, Dave, I kind of knew, like, he was just, you know, one of those Oxnard punks that was always around. So he was a friend, and. Um, I think he was actually playing and, you know, kind of jamming with John Morris. So they kind of came as a package. So we all of a sudden got a lead guitarist and a bass player. And then, so this is, you can see the band kind of really gelling up and firming up as to, you know, what it's known as today. So it was, and then we went through a few different drummers. I think that guy, Robin Cartwright, it was, who had, was the initial drummer for Dr. Now. He played with Solid for a little while, but yeah, he, he was, yeah, he, he kind of didn't last. And, um, and then we had, who did we have on drums at that stage? We, ah, um, Harry Weisenheimer, Harry Meisenheimer. So, um, who, you know, later went on to join the cramps and become ultra famous. <laughs> but, um, he, he was a drummer. So, and, and then he was the drummer for the original drummer for, ended up being the original drummer for false confession. Sure. And he plays on in and, control. Um, so he plays on in control. Yeah. So, he, yeah, and that's where we kind of did started doing our first touring because um, Harry's uh, parents had this awesome van, man. It was one of those touring bands, you know, with like plush velour seats and, you know, 
shag carpeting on the ceiling and everywhere and you know oh, it just was awesome like one of those extendo vans you know that sure. kind of, like it might have been you know this, this kind of like souped up luxury pimped out you know Florida kind of van and um, that was his parents like the family car but we used to use that to tour and so we started venturing this is when we started venturing up to playing San Francisco heaps man but this, like this we is, played the on Broadway that's after <clears throat> that's after in control though correct so, well, probably just prior to In okay. Control and after. Like, we did, um, yeah, probably, yeah, probably, yeah, probably, yeah, probably, yeah, you're probably right, yeah. Okay, but so let's in, talk about No, hold on, hold on. In 83, we did start venturing up to, to, um, to the Bay, to San Francisco. Yeah, to the okay. Bay, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, to, you went in and recorded In Control. Where do you record at? Okay, we initially recorded it at. Um, I had this girlfriend at the time who um, her her dad was a muso, and he had this friend who had this studio. You know, this thing they were putting together, and they had this like awesome. You know, <clears throat> Jimi Hendrix recorded on this analog disc kind of deal, and you know, we were really kind of sold on. Yeah, we're going to record there, and the guy producing it, uh, this guy George Newberry or Jorge Newberry, as we used to call it. Um, <clears throat> who ironically went on to be a like a ultra wealthy property developer in Chicago, <laughs> and still friends with him on Facebook. He's a r- really interesting guy, you know, an in- interesting cat. But he was kind of really like, like so we we roll up to this place. I don't know, it was somewhere in in Orange County. I remember it was a, a fair hike, and we get to the studio, and um, you know, we, we we start you know kind of doing some tracking, and and, and George turns up, and he's like, Ron, can I talk to you? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, we've got to get the fuck out of here. This place sucks. Like, <laughs> this desk is so old, man. He's got there. There was like a broken window in the studio that they just had leaned like a piece of plywood up over it, and you could hear like, <laughs> you know, dogs barking. And, sure. You know, he's gone, and he's gone, dude. This isn't gonna work, man. He's gone. My vision of punk is to really kind of produce some good shit i want to document this scene i i, I want this to be a good recording yeah you know we've got to you know, tell you know i know it's your girlfriend and i know it's your girlfriend's dead deal but you just got to get out of this somehow and i'm like fuck you know because it's kind of you know it's almost like a family thing so long story short man i say uh you know look i, I blame george i blame the other band members and i kind of weasel my way out of this and i go sorry we're not doing it here and and um and I mean, ironically, there's um because th- this girlfriend um, who will remain unnamed, her dad and his mate had did like a, a mobile recording, a demo of um, I think this it might have been Ricky, it might have been the Ricky Blake, myself and Joel, like we did this kind of early demo in my garage, and like she's got that, and like I, you know, I think she's so pissed about this thing still, like even thirty, forty years later, that because <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I think she had intimated to John Moore at one stage that she would release this given some conditions, and I was like, look, fuck, man, I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah. You know? So there is this kind of other floating demo that's that's kind of out there, but. You know, we did we did a few cassettes, but um, you know, she's got the master. Did you complete, anyway, Did you so, complete any tracks in that that recording studio? No, no. Okay, we so just kind of just, just yeah. Started and quit. And we left. 
started and, and left. You know, I think we were there a day, and that was it. Okay. But we did lay some stuff down, but, you know, it's probably, who knows? Yeah. Maybe yeah. it'll surface one day. I don't know. Yeah. But um, I think we just laid down some, some, you know, a couple of rough tracks. Like, I think we just did it live to tape, like um, me singing and everything. Anyway, so we, we get out of there, and then, you know, George's, so George's vision is, man, we're, record, we're recording at this studio in Hollywood, I think it was West Hollywood, called Skip Sailor Recording. Now, this is a fucking high-end professional studio. I mean, I'd never seen anything like it, you know? I mean, you know, we're, we're punks, man. We're kids, you know? We're, you know, playing in the garage, and we go in, and this is like the real deal, man. Like, there was so many baffles and soundboards and you know, I've never seen so many cables in my life, so many mics, you know, um, you know, a, a, a drum booth, you know, like right. everyone's separate, you know, we're, you know, I'm, I'm in another room entirely. Like this is, you know, it was, it, you know, and it was, everything was schmick, you know, I mean, I think like, you know, the cars had recorded there and Rick James and, you know, and, and, um, and the, the guys who, um, John Gass was, um, uh, he, was, he was the guy twiddling the knobs he was the mixer and he, he went on to be like I think he won or was nominated for an Academy Award for something you know like he got into soundtracks and like movie soundtracks and stuff And so this was like the real deal like this it was expensive I don't know how much you know because George is funding it all and you know he, he's like a, a great guy you know but he's, he's quite wealthy like you know his house was in Bel Air and, you know, big house and, you know, um, wealthy parents, you know, kind of aristocrats from Europe or something. And yeah. um, or I think his, yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. So but anyway, is, so is, he, he is, was bankrolling this thing, yeah. Is he Upstart Records then? Yeah, so he's Upstart. Yeah. Okay. George Newberry is Upstart okay. Records. He, he, it, this was out of his out of his parents. So I think the, if there's an address for Upstart on the, on the album, it's his parents' house. Okay. You know? And, um, yeah, so he was upstart and he so bankrolled the whole thing. And, we we should drive up there. Uh, it was expensive. I think it was like five or $6,000 the recording. Holy fuck. So, uh, we yeah. should, and, we yeah, should drive up and thank his, we should drive up and thank his parents though. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. thanks for putting well, Stalag in a good studio. Part, yeah, exactly. Because that was one thing, like I've heard this numerous times and from some pretty reputable people. I mean, one of them, uh, the bass player from Helmet, mm-hmm. who I met, um, you know, I went to, they came out to tour in Australia and I went to see them play at the Prince of Wales and I just went up and started talking to him, you know, as you do, because it was, you know, just punk rock to me. And, and he's like, yeah, yeah, cool, man. Hey, you know, because I said, hey, are you guys all from New York? And he goes, no, 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 man, I'm from Portland, Oregon. And I go, oh, cool, I go, I used to play in a band back in the States, you know. We played up in Portland, you know. And he's going, oh, yeah, what was the name of your band? I go, no fucking way, dude, you guys were awesome, man. <laughs> I was at your show, you played with Poison Idea, fuck, man, I love you guys. And I'm like, hang on, I'm a struggling casual academic, and you're in a multi-platinum selling metal band, fuck, man. What what what's, what went wrong there? And you love me? <laughs> and, um, you know, I was just going, this is cool. And, and he said, he goes, you know what was the most, he goes, you know what kind of makes you guys stand out, man, was the quality of your recording, man. He goes, that album was so polished, you know, for the time, you know. There's all these bands. I mean, even, like, I was listening to Black Flag on Spotify yesterday. And, I, you know, I've got it cranked up, but not all the way. And then all of a sudden a Black Flag song comes on and it was so muffled and low. I had to like turn it up to as high as my 
iPhone would let me to hear it because the, I mean, really, at the end of the day, the recording quality is a little bit, you know. Yeah. You know, I'm you know now I'm kind of going fuck. I mean, I have Greg James me now, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was you know like you know that's you know I don't know maybe it's an arrogant statement. I don't know. No, that recording is is amazing, and it's yeah. it's so you know, and that's what I've heard by a lot of different people is that yeah, the, the recording and it was because it was in a high quality studio with professional sound engineers who knew what they were doing, and they really got the and George was great. He got the best out of. He worked us like a mother in there, man. Like, I had, I had laid down all of the tracks, and he was like, mm, take it home and listen to it, Ron. You know, take take it home for, for, for a week and have a listen. Let your friends listen to it. And, you know, I could tell he wasn't 100% happy, and I was like, fuck, you know. And so, you know, I took it, took it back down to our side, and you know, we were listening to it. You know, the band was listening to it, and they're going, oh, you know. And then Mark Hickey listened to it, and he goes, dude, man, you got to do this again, man. He goes, I'm just not feeling it. He goes, I've seen you guys play live. I've, you know, I've seen you practice. I know what you can do. You know, go back in and do it. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I felt really like a lot of pressure. Yeah. So we scrapped, we scrapped all of my vocals. Holy And fuck. I went in and did them again. And it was like, you know, and, and it was true. Like, I really kind of like, you know, like, you know, put yourself there, you know, seeing like you're, you know, like, like you're not recording, seeing like it's live, seeing like it's, you know, your life depends on it. And that's kind of what happened, you know? Yeah. So how, how, how was your, kind of, you how know. was your first session? Was it, was it too soft? Was it too harsh? How did you lay it down? Right, properly? Too soft. Yeah. Too soft. You're in there trying too to sing a little power. too much. Yeah. I was trying to sing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just wasn't there. It wasn't like what I did on stage just wasn't coming across, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Just, yeah. That's what I would say. Definitely just too soft, too mellow, you know? Yeah. So then, just so not really hitting it, you know? But when you're done with this record, how do you feel about it? Do you feel like you created a classic? You know, no, not at all. Like I, I was really pleased with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I gotta say I was really happy with it, you know, like, cause I mean, even my young 18, 19 year old years, I could, I was starting to appreciate, well, this sounds pretty damn good. And I remember my dad, cause my dad was really into jazz and R&B. And so he had this shit hot stereo. And I remember listening to the, you know, the cassette on that. And then when we got the test pressings, listening to the test pressings, you know, in with the Sennheiser, you know, um, headphones going, fuck man, this is really awesome. You know? <laughs> like, I mean, you know, I mean, I wasn't thinking like it's a classic or anything. I was just thinking, damn, this sounds good. Yeah. You know, and even now, even now, man, I was listening to a, you know, a, a, a kind of a, a, a punk drive mix on Spotify, just a random one. And, um, you know, and um, what, what song came on? Conditions came on. And I was like, fuck, man, that is so clean, so crisp, so precise, so on the money, you know, like, you know, it was you know, I was just going, damn, you know, and the song that just blows me away to this day is black and gray. Of course. Because, because, well, they were, they were able to capture, like they got a really nice recording, but they didn't lose like the driviness of it, you know, like the drums are still raging and, and yeah, yeah, black and gray. Cause you know, the band in later iterations without you, they've, they've re-recorded that song plenty of times and it never has like that initial energy. Um, and, yeah. and so those later ones, they're not about it being overproduced. It's about like, I don't know. No one can really capture that like eighties drum sound, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. totally. But, 
And it's, yeah, it was just mixed so well. Like the bass is there. Yeah, you hear everything. The drums are, like you said, driving. You can hear everything. You know, you can even lock in and go, oh, I just want to listen to the lead guitar. And you can do it. Yeah. Because it, it's, it's just mixed so well, you know? And, you know, it was like these guys. Like I said, John Gass, and there was another guy. You know, his name's on the, on the, on the, on the, on the credits on the album, I can't remember his name, but they were just like they, you know, they were professionals, man. This is what these guys did for a living. So, so this comes out and, in 1984, you know, and uh, also, yeah, I would say early '84, yeah. I okay, think, yeah. And the Nardcore Comp yeah. also comes out in '84. Um, yeah. Do you? Which of these did you record for first? Do you remember? Oh, fuck, I don't. I, I think we recorded. Um, I think we recorded um, in Control first because that was. Okay. The recordings for that were finished in December '83. Okay, and then you go and you, and you record it, these songs for the Narco Comp. Statistic yeah, and do I it right. Statistic can do it right. Yeah, which do it right was like you know, it was, it was, yeah, it, it it was fun, but my rapping's pretty poor on that. And, <laughs> uh, and but you know, ironically, I I went on because I played in a couple of bands here in Australia and. Um, one of the most like the prolific and we kind of, we were actually kind of starting to do kind of biggish things here. I mean, it just didn't happen for us, but I was in this band called 20 minutes and it was like a heavy hip hop crossover thing. And, um, like there was two singers. There was one guy, this guy, Archie doing a Pantera kind of, you know, and I was and all I did was rap, man. And I was fucking nailing it. And it was like that. Those songs were, you know, like I had it in me, but do do it right. Not the you know not, not my best rapping. Well, that's early. That's, that's, that was you know eighty four is early yeah. for hip hop too. You know, like the yeah. go, the golden era doesn't come until several years later. Nah, but I mean, but it was funny because you know hip hop and, and punk man had like real synergies, man. You know, like I was you know you know I I went to see the Beastie Boys back in the day. Like early on, I went to see Run DMC at the Hollywood Palladium. You know, like. You know, I think I was wearing a black flag shirt. And, I mean, there was a lot of punks there. Yeah. And so there was a lot. You know, and it, it, it's just these kind of, like, yeah, you know, um, it, it was, you know, largely, um, you know, a middle-class white scene. But definitely feeling marginalized and oppressed and not understood, like, you know, the kind of the African-American community that being, you know, you know, so there was these kind of similar, you know, uh, I guess vibe. So, you know, you know, hip hop was definitely on my radar on a lot of people's radar at that stage. Well, it's def- it but, definitely, uh, for, yeah, we're kind of digressing. No, I mean, it's, it's definitely a, a subculture and, and also, uh, you know, for people that, especially in those early days, just like punk and hardcore is for people that think a little bit different outside of the mainstream. Yeah. 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 And I mean, one thing I didn't really kind of, you know, I didn't really think about at the time much, but I just, only recently got around to I think last week or two weeks ago to watching um, James Spooner's documentary Afropunk. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's you know about the kind of the you know the African American punk experience, and it was kind of done. Uh, it was released in two thousand and three, but kind of done in the I, I think in the late nineties, early two thousands. And um, yeah, it was an interesting documentary because I never really kind of thought about it when I, when I was you know when I was young. I was just like, yeah, okay, I'm. You know, if I think back, I go, <clears throat> it was, yeah, I was one of two black punks in Ventura County, you know, it was like, or Ventura and Santa Barbara County, because it was Vince Preparis from RKL in Santa Barbara and myself. And then there was, you know, a few dudes in LA, but 
you know, yeah, it was, you know, it, and yeah, so that was, you know, it's kind of a different whole dynamic that I really didn't think about as when I was in the scene, but you know, this kind of, this documentary, yeah, it was kind of cool. Kind of, you know, I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> no, I think that's cool. <laughs> I mean, that is interesting. Um, you know, to have a black dude singing, right? Early hardcore. It's yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's yeah. part of. I mean, it's a piece of what makes Stalag so rad, too. You know, it's like yeah. some a little different. Did you ever like when when did like uh, like Nazis and like white power people start coming around like to shows? Has that always oh, been there? Oh yeah, shit. No, no, no. It was it was kind of non-existent. I would say early on, like okay. you know. And I mean, look, Oxnard's a funny place because there's a lot of Mexican punks, you know. Sure. Um, you know, you had all the Hernandez brothers and heaps of other people, and even in LA, I mean, you know, so you know, large Latino, like Circle One, man, they were all Puerto Rican, you know. Um, you know, so there's a lot of Latinos, you know. So there's a lot of you know color going on in there. Um. And, uh, you know, in Jewish people and all kinds of people, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, Drew Bernstein, you know, had a Jewish background, you know, Alison Braun, you know, who was, you know, kind of the great documenter, photographic documenter of the scene, you know, along with, you know, Glenn Friedman and Ed Culver and others. But, um, you know, so you've got this mixed, you know, it's not, you know, I mean, I guess it's probably unfair to say it's a completely middle class white culture or scene but anyways um yeah so the skinheads probably around probably when i was kind of getting you know i mean getting out of it i guess yeah you know probably 87 88 i think so the later 80s and definitely is after yeah the late 80s is when it really started popping up you know and yeah because i think you know i remember yeah probably yeah i would say 87 88 yeah definitely cool yeah um that's when it, yeah. Yeah, that's when it started. You started seeing these kind of Nazi skins. And I mean, there'd always been skins, but they were mostly, you know, sharps. They were, you know, like, uh, or you, just you traditional. Know, just, you just know, non-racist. traditional kind of working class. Yeah, and there was even, uh, uh, you know, a couple of black ones in LA, you know, and, and you know, um, or Rene Lahane from Santa Barbara, man. He's, uh, you know, he, he's Mexican, you know, and he would, you know, still, you know, black would call himself a skin, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, and, and then, you know, and then there was a couple of people, you know, I know who were named, who will remain nameless from, you know, the Ventura County scene that got into the Nazi thing. And it was, yeah, primarily after I left, because I, I, I went overseas, like, um, I'm probably jumping ahead, but yeah, I, I kind of left the country in, um, uh, it was early 87, I think. Okay. And then I was gone 80, like all of 87 and most of 88. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, but you know, nearly two years. And <clears throat> that's when a lot of that shit went down. You know, there was some stabbings and beatings and, you know, the shows were turning into these kind of bloodbaths. You know, I'd go to the Olympic Auditorium and it'd be just kind of battles between punks and skins. And, well, you know, I missed all of that. You know, I was in Europe having fun. You know? So you're saying it's your fault. If you wouldn't have left, you could have kept the peace. <laughs> if I wouldn't have left, yeah, I would have. Yeah, I would have kept the peace. No, I don't know. I'd have probably just got the shit beat out of myself because I, you know, tend to be very vocal and you know, and mouth off against idiots like that. But yeah. I don't know. Or you know, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was yeah. So I kind of yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I remember it seeing it. Yeah, kind of in the late eighties it started. You know, like even maybe in eighty six, yeah, a little bit going on, and then yeah. So, so we can blame the Stalin yeah. 13 heavy metal demo for it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's another. That's, uh, <laughs> let's get yeah, to it, but, but let's let's talk about you control a little bit. Let's talk about you control a little bit. Well, so, but yeah. So yeah. the the record comes out. You got a van, and now you're you're breaking out of town a little more. So you're going up to the bay. Do you ever leave California? Yep. Do you go play Arizona? You play. Uh, we were supposed to play Arizona with aggression, and that um that tour fell through. We did make it to Denver okay. and Wyoming. Okay. We played in, I don't know, something like South Bend, Wyoming or something. Okay. <clears throat> and um, that it was like literally almost like driving to Denver, playing a couple of shows, playing Wyoming and coming home. Like, yeah. That, yeah, I think that was, yeah. And so that would have been, yeah, that was Larry White. That was the band. That was Larry White, Dick Stewart, and Etal, and John. So that was 84, 85? Yeah, eighty four, eighty five. Yeah, cool. So, um, and yeah, and we yeah, and we were yeah. So we were playing yeah, like probably after that because like I said, the in control comes out early eighty four. We were playing all up and down the you know, and that yeah, we were playing all up and down the 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 west coast, you know. Um, and actually, I lie. We I think I yeah, I think we did play San Diego. We did. We played San Diego once. <laughs> we played with forty five gray. Cool. Yeah, we cool. played with Forty Five Grave and yeah, a couple of other bands. Yeah, and that was in '84. So '84 was just this kind of blur of shows. '84, '85. So we were playing, you know, uh, you know, when we started playing big shows, like Jerry Tovar from Golden Voice just loved us. So we were playing, um, you know, Perkins Palace. You know, we played uh, this fucking awesome show with like uh, with the Big Boys. Um, uh, what was that band you kind of wore clown makeup from the UK? <laughs> the Addicts. The Addicts, yeah, the Addicts. Um, and I think Suicidal Tendencies headlined. Holy cow! And we and, and we weren't we weren't opening. There was somebody I can't remember who it was. Somebody opened for you know opened the show. Then we played, and then the Big Boys and the Addicts and then Suicidal, and that was at Perkins Palace in Pasadena. It was something like a four or five thousand seat you know or you know capacity theater, and it was. Man. Holy and, fuck. You know, and, and it, it just fucking went off, man. This was when I was like, we've arrived. Yeah. Like, you know, this is this is the shit, man. You know, and you know, we're we're on this stage and you know, you could hardly see the crowd for the lights and you know, and it was just chaos. Like, I mean, beautiful chaos. Like, yeah. you know, just people, man, stage diving, moshing, singing along, you know, the whole place just kind of erupted, man. That was like that's but, you know, another highlight show, man. That show was just, you know, I'm going, man, we got this album out, man. We've got merchandise. We're, you know, we're, you know, um, you know, we had this review in Maximum Rock and Roll that was like, you know, you couldn't pay money for it. You know, these guys are one to watch, up and comers, man. They're, you know, this is, you know, a really nuanced, finessed album. Although they did say my singing was, which is probably something I actually got leveled at. People tended to criticize my singing as not being as, you know, as, you know, as, as strong as it could be. Huh. Or as strong as other bands, you know. So, oh, it's, uh, yeah. It's what makes oh, it know, stand look, out, I, though, I right? It the, it's, you're not, sorry? It's what makes it stand out, though. You know, you're not, you're yeah, not, well, you're not, you. you're not yeah. yelling, yelling. You're not doing a snotty voice. You're not doing, yeah. you know, a growly voice. Um, it's just, yeah. a, it's a clean shout. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, effectively, yeah, what it was. I mean, I was like my, my idols at that time who I just absolutely, you know, kind of emulated 
would be, um, you know, Ian McKay and Henry Rollins, you know, they sure. were the, who I tried to sing like, you know. So it was, yeah, that, you know, that passion and energy and that shout, but yeah, to where I want to be heard. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I want it to be, yeah, you know? yeah, you're understandable. And, and I would, you know, I, I was, you know, I, you know, I would, I would try to sing, you know, because I did have, I had vocal lessons and, you know, and, um, you know, I've got pretty good timing. So it was something I did try and sing as well as keep it high energy. So, but yeah, it was, yeah that, that was funny. That was something that, you know, kind of, yeah. But anyway, that's cool. I, I forgive them. But it was, you know, um, it was a really good review and we got a lot of good reviews and we were getting a lot of you know, media attention from, you know, fanzines and, you know, um, yeah, it was kind of cool. I was, it was probably like, you know, during that time, it was probably like I was getting three or four or five interview, like kind of postal interview requests a week, you know, for just obscure, you know, little fanzines in Kentucky or Brazil or Germany and, you know. It, it, you know, and, and I would do them all. And that was one thing we prided ourselves on, man. You wrote to us, you got a letter back. Even if you just said, hey, I love you guys, and we, we wrote back. You know, you didn't have to buy anything, you know. And again, that was probably me emulating, you know, Discord, Ian and Discord. You know, every time I ordered a record from Discord, I got a personal note from, you know, from, or same with SSD, I got a personal note from Nancy Petrillo or from Al or, you know, and like, you know, or Ian and Skip or whoever, you know, and, you know, and then eventually I got to meet these people because they would come on tour and, you know, like we, you know, we had the Necros stay at my parents' house. We had Suicidal stay at my parents' house. Um, I think Robo stayed at my parents' house. Um, you know, like these bands would tour and, you, you know, you kind of got to meet these, you know, these, these, these people. And yeah, that was really cool. So we always wrote back and yeah. And, you know, if they ordered a T-shirt, you got a personal note, you know? Yeah, that's so, so cool. So it, everything's raging, 84, 85. Yeah. And then... We're, we're playing like a machine, man. We're, like, we're, we're rehearsing. I was, I was like a, 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 a work, you know, I drove these guys. It was like, we're, I wanted to practice every day. Mm-hmm. And we, often we did. And so we're, we're playing. We're, you know, we've got it down. Like, we're a well-oiled machine, man. You know, we knew exactly what we were doing when we hit the stage. You know? Right. When, when do you and, start? Um, when do you start yeah. experimenting though with changing the sound? And it's, it's just so fascinating to me because, you know, Oxnard Narcor eighty three eighty four is like so creative with everyone coming out of the records, right? So don't be mistaken. It's yeah. eighty three. Um, in eighty four, yeah. you have What Happens Next come out. You have In Control come out. You have yeah. Plug In Jesus come out. Eighty five, you yeah. have Burn come out. Um, yeah. But that's like the end of it. And then kind yeah. of everything just tapers. No one ever really does anything again. Like, yeah, it was weird. It was like it just kind of. Um, but if you're, yeah, it, it but like if you're firing just, so hard yeah. in 85, like why not get fired up and like go do a, a record in 86 or like in late 85? Like you're, you're just playing yeah. on the same stuff. And then do you, do you get bored of it or does just the scene no, change? The or no, nah. well, the scene was changing. I guess, um, you know, this friendly camaraderie was turning into competition. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if others have talked about it, but, you know, it was, you know, look, we were all pretty tight. Like, you know, I went to high school with 
Tony Cortez and Jimmy Callahan and John Fanoff and you know uh, you know we you know I knew all of these guys like super well. But there was you know starting to get a little bit of competition. Oh, we're better than you. Or we're playing more shows. Or we're doing this. And you know I don't know. You know people probably won't admit it, but you know it, it was definitely there. And you know and I'm guilty of it. You know I'm not sitting here saying it was other people. It was definitely me too. You know I could be a real you know asshole. I guess you know. Sure. Well, it's people and, in their early twenties. You're not rational yeah. yet. Yeah. You know, so we were kind of, yeah, there was, so there was a bit of that, a bit of sniping, you know, you know, and, you know, Dr. No, I think they're king shit and whatever. And, you know, and we were like, you know, it was kind of, I, I you know, I, I won't say unhealthy, but yeah, it probably wasn't super productive. You know? like, yeah. And, um, you know, so there, you know, there was a bit of sniping. And, you know, we can all mythologize, oh, the wonderful Nardcore scene, but, you know, we're humans. And as you say, we were young humans who were, a bit, you know, arrogant and impetuous and all of that, you know. So there was a bit of that going on. And then also, like, what, what, like my personal story, what happened with Solid 13 is come 85, you know, the record's doing fucking well, like, really phenomenal, man. You know, like, George is getting it, you know, overseas. Um, it's, you know, it's selling really well. Um, I think it went into, I don't know how many pressings he did, you know, I think um, two or three. Um, you know, we're getting a lot of press. We're playing a heap of shows. We're, you know, we're, you know, we're playing with the Necros. We're playing with the Misfits. We're playing with Black Flag. We're playing with Bad Brains. We're, you know, we're playing with Suicidal. We're playing with the big boys. We're playing with Whisker Dude, man. <laughs> like, we're, right. you know, we played with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, man. We opened for the Red Hot Chili Peppers at La Casa de la Raza, man. You know, we're, we're, you know, like, you know, it, everything's kind of coming together. We're, you know, we played with the Circle Jets all, all the time. They were, you know, like we played this. Hitler's birthday show. <laughs> that was funnily, ironically, the the promoter was a Jewish guy, but yeah, it was weird. But it was kind of the circle jerk, you know. And he wanted us on the on the on the on the you know the bill because you know the German name, <laughs> you know? Sure. And um, you know, and that that was you know that was awesome. You know, we're we're, we're getting so much fan mail, so much press. You know, you know, it, it's getting to the point where I'm walking around shows and I can't even walk around shows. I'm, I'm like a celebrity, and you know, it's funny. Like I, I you know, I got. I'm this nobody from Oxnard and people want to talk to me. That was weird, you know, because, you know, going through high school, man, you know, all the job bullshit and all that, you know, and being a punk, you know, you're just fighting all the time. So anyway, so yeah, so things are really kind of going well for us. We're on, we're on a wave, man. We're on a roll. So 85, what happens is, you know, George Newberry, he's booking a tour. He's going, the record's going really well. You're doing a national, like an, well, an international tour. We're going to Canada. (laughs) We're going to, you know, it's, I think, what ended up, what he booked was 65 shows Holy in, um, in three months. Okay. Like, it was going to be kind of, you know, I think June, July, August. It was just going to be the summer of love, man. The summer of Stalag we were, we were We were starting in Oxnard, I think, playing Santa Barbara, San Luis Obispo. Um, in the Bay Area, I think we played Ruthie's in Berkeley. Um, Sacramento uh, played some place in Medford, Oregon, played in um, Portland, played in uh, in um, Seattle. with, and we, and we did a number of these shows with the Minutemen, which was just fucking awesome. And and so we, we played in, um, in, in Seattle. We played with the Melvins, who were fucking awesome, and they loved us, man. So we played with the Melvins, the Minutemen, and some other bands from up there. And um, so that that was the tour, and then we were gonna meant to go into Vancouver, and then in 
in through Canada, kind of dipping in and out of, you know, uh, the U.S. So, you know, into South Dakota, North Dakota, Wyoming, into Winnipeg, and, you know, and just kind of crisscrossing and then down into Chicago, Indiana, Michigan, Detroit, you know, and then Philly, Boston, New York, down, you know, to, to D.C., down into Florida, and then, you know, back up and through the south. And, you know, this was going to be our, you know, we were just going to, you know, this was going to be it, you know. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, and I'll, this is something I dreamed about from the time I was a little kid, man. Like, this is this is a true story. I used to sing, you know, I, I, I loved singing, man. I was I would run around the house, and I'm, you know, being the youngest of five, you know, I had older sisters who were into Led Zeppelin, the Beatles, you know, Elton John, and so I'd sing all these songs. And you know, I remember singing um, uh, uh, Led Zeppelin's "Man, Whole Lot of Love," man. I love that song. And I remember singing that and go, man, I want to be a rock star. I'm going to do this shit, you know. And so this is my dream coming true, right? Sure. And so this tour is booked, man. We're 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 set. We're happening. And you know, some of that kind of sniping and ego and shit that I was talking about a moment ago, I think that was kind of internal in the band, you know. Um, Dave Casillas was just strung out on heroin. You know, here we are, this you know the great straight edge band, and you know one of our, you know, you know, come to find out later that you know. Two of them are alcoholics, and one's a you know drug addict. You know, and so you know, you know, Dave was you know he he ended up um you know I think we were playing a show once, and he was just so off his face. His guitar strings were broke. He was out of tune, and I just walked up to his amp and turned him off, and he played. This, he just continued playing and jumping around, but you know there was no sound coming out. And, you know, he'll say he quit, and you know I kicked him out, whatever. But he left the band and. And so we were, you know, on the eve of this tour. So we're probably about mm, three months out of this tour. We're down to a four piece. So it's Blake, Larry, John, and myself. And then I, so now remember Chuck Stank. So Chuck Collison, um, who was the original bass player for Stalag 13, he's really a guitar player. That's why he didn't like play, playing bass anyways in Stalag. So he's a, and, and a, he's an awesome guitar player, phenomenal guitar player. He has this band now called Until We Die, and they are just like, you know, they're kind of a hardcore metal crossover thing, and he's such an awesome guitarist. Anyways, long story short, I want to bring Chuck in on lead guitar. And, um, you know, I, I pitch it to the guys, and they're like, yeah, yeah, okay, cool, right? So we... We go, we're going to have a jam. And at this stage, we've been practicing at John Morris's house. For, for We had a whole dedicated room there. We set up, we jam. It is awesome, man. You know, Chuck's got a you know Marshall stack. You know, he, he's you know, got a Gibson SG and a Gibson Les Paul. And these songs are just like, you know, black and gray, man. My God, man. That was incredible with Chuck. It was so loud in this room, man. Just the grinding guitar. And I was like, man, this is the shit. And I'm kind of like, okay, we're ready to do this, you know? And then, you know, Chuck packs up and goes. And, you know, I don't know if it was then or uh, maybe a week later, but, you know, um, Blake starts going, oh, we don't need, we don't, we, 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 we don't need Chuck, man. We don't, we don't need another guitar. And I'm like, come on, man. We, you know, we've, we've recorded this album with two guitars. You jump around like a maniac on stage, which is awesome. And so, you know, you're not going to be able to pull all those leads off. And, you know, we, we you know, I really want Chuck in the band, you know. And anyways, man, a big argument broke out between me and Blake. And uh, again, Blake, you know, he quit. <laughs> he just goes, oh, fuck you, man, and quit. 
And I'm kind of like, fuck, you know, like, you know, I, I go, we're here, man. And we're like, we're on the cusp, man. Let's do this. You know, and he's like, you know, and I go, well, stuff it then, you know. And so he like leaves the band, you know, and, you know, his mom had some choice words with me and, you know, and, and I'm kind of going, okay. And so I turned to the guys, I go, all right, we're going to do this with Chuck. And John and Larry are kind of like, oh, yeah, cool. Okay, all right. You know, and so we start rehearsing with Chuck and we're rehearsing every day. And, you know, it's sounding, you know, I'm thinking it's sounding really good. And then, um, you know, my dad, because my dad's a a diesel mechanic, so he's, he's like, gone through the van, like, you know, he's, you know, rebuilt the transmission, changed all the seals, you know, this the vans and, you know, it was actually America's Hardcore's old touring van that I bought off Drew Bernstein for like 400 bucks or something. And so my dad gets, you know, new tires. It's set. He goes, it's, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna get you there, man. He goes, it's, everything's good. And so we got the tour van. We're, we're set. We're, you know, we're ready to go, man. George is amped, you know, upstarts amped, you know, we're, you know, he's organizing press events and, you know, it's all happening. And then, you know, it's like, no joke. I don't know how long it was before the, you know, probably three weeks or four weeks. Uh, we roll up to practice and I get there pretty early and Larry and John are like, Hey man, can we talk? And I go, yeah. And they go, he goes, look, dude, uh, they, they tell me, look, dude, uh, you know, we, we don't want to do the tour, man. We, you know, we, we, we don't think Chuck's going to be ready. It's, you know, it, it's, it's come around so quick. It's, you know, I, I don't think we should do it. And I'm like, no, come on, seriously. Like, we're, we're here. Let's do this. Let's do this. And they were just adamant. No. And they said, we'll do the, we'll do the West Coast leg. We'll play up to Seattle and that's it. And I was like, are you for real? And they were like, yeah. And I tried to cajole them. I tried to convince them. And they were like, no. And um, so that's what happened. So June 85, we embark on this tour, man. And, you know, I'm just, it's kind of bittersweet for me because I'm like, this is awesome. But, you know, it's like we're playing 12 shows instead of 65. And, you know, we, we, we go up. The shows are great. We, you know, we have an awesome time. We play and. Seattle and that like again that's probably another highlight man like I, I told you before we're playing with the Minutemen we're playing with the Melvins who I've never heard of and they were just awesome and um <clears throat> the Melvins loved us so much like Chuck was you know like this, the band came alive and this was where the real metal thing started because Chuck was essentially a metal guitarist and we just sounded awesome it was loud it was you know, like it just, you know, he gave new life to those songs, you know, like, like I said, black and gray was phenomenal. And we, we had started writing some new songs, you know, um, you know, a couple that we've, we've actually recorded, like, cause we recorded back, I recorded with a band when we went back for Nar, um, the Narmegadon festival mm-hmm. in, um, in 2012, we, we played at the Gilman, we headlined the Gilman and then we played a couple of local shows in Oxnard and then we played in our Megadon and, um, at the Galaxy Theater in, I don't know, Anaheim or somewhere around there, Santa Ana. And, um, during that time we actually recorded, I don't know what's happened with that. I've, I've got, you know, a, a CD of it, but it was pretty awesome. And we recorded some of these new songs we were playing. Like, you know, I say this is the old new one, but anyways, long story short. So we play Seattle, man. It's awesome. The Melvins love us. They drive our last show is in Olympia, Washington. The Melvins drive the 90 minutes the next night to see us, you know, and again, they are, you know, platinum selling, you know, metal band, you know, known all over the world. And they thought we were like, you know, the shit. And, um, 
And then that's it. We um, packed the van and we drive home. It was a long, lonely 24-hour drive from Washington State back to Oxnard. Drop everyone off. See ya. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't think we practiced for a couple of weeks. Uh, we got to practice. It was kind of lackluster. A uh, couple of weeks later, Larry says, you know, he, he started track racing, riding a track, you know, bicycle. And that's what he wanted to do. And he was like, I'm leaving the band. And I'm like, mm, great, thanks. So he leaves. Um, we get Rick Heller from, who was in Dr. No at the time. So, and I thought Rick was, you know, going to join the band, but he was kind of like, oh, I'm just, I'll just fill in for a while. So he played with us for a few months. And we did a tour to, we played, we toured out to Denver again, played a few shows out there. And then um, came back and, you know, he wasn't really committed. So we've got two. Then I kind of get this guy from, through a friend of a friend, this this young guy from Santa Cruz. I can't even remember his name. Um, he, he was a young guy. He's probably about 16, you know, and he, he, he came down and was sleeping on my parents' couch and, <laughs> and um, you know, and drumming for us and, I mean, we played, a, you know, a couple of shows, you know, nothing big, you know, like, but, you know, because, I mean, essentially we had missed the boat, man. The, the momentum, you know, it's it's already in late 85, you know, getting into late 85 and the momentum's gone. They're like, yeah, your album was out, you know, nearly two years ago and you haven't toured and, you know, all these other bands are touring and, you know, it was, you could just feel it dying. And so it's, you know, and look, Chuck loved the guy, John Morris loved the guy, but they, you know, like I was it, I was the band, I was the manager, and, and, and Larry, when he stepped in, man, because the guy's a real savvy businessman, he kind of really helped me, you know, like he used to, he was the one who started doing all the merch and the t-shirts, and that's what he's doing now with Stalag Now, and um, so when he left, it was a real wound to me, because we were A, really close, and B, he was like a real business savvy guy. And so that was a real blow to me as well, to the band. And and look, it, it just kind of, it just died a slow death. It just fizzled. Does he yeah. come back and, though? Or, yeah. or how, how does the heavy metal demo come about? Yeah. Sorry for being so long and convoluted. But no, no, yeah. no. I, I love yeah. it. I love it. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so what happens is, is um, it just kind of dies. This was probably, I think our last gig would have been kind of October. Okay. Um, it October was 85? at a party in Camarillo, October 85, we, we, we played a party in Camarillo. We played with, you know, um, I think scared stray and, you know, a couple of, um, you know, a couple of other, you know, local bands, up and coming bands. And I remember I was playing, I was singing out of one of the, you know, it's again, something I'm, I'm not proud of this memory, but it was, um, I, I think the, the bass player for habeas corpus, at the time they were band playing and I was singing through his bass amp and something happened and, you know, something fucked up and the vocals stopped and I got really pissed off and I kicked his amp and, you know, and he was like, that's a cool dude. And I'm like, fuck off, you know? And I was, uh, you know, and look, it's not a proud moment for me, but that, that was the death of the band. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what I was feeling. And I just thought here we were, you know, like, you know, eight months ago playing, you know, to 4,000 people at Perkins Palace with Suicidal and it's, you know, we're the next big thing and now I'm playing some shitty party in Camarillo and it's all over, you know? Yeah, you're and it was like literally that. And yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're playing Camarillo like at a party and singing through a bass amp. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that night, I think uh, Chuck and John said, um, and, you know, let's leave it. You know, we're, we're done. And they went and joined this hair metal band called Metropolis. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and, and um, I think at that stage, I'd already booked tickets to go overseas because I just needed a break. I just needed to get away. <clears throat> so I was going to London and... So I went, took off to Europe for six months. I think I kind of left in November, and I was there kind of November, December, January, February. I think I came back in March, 80, 86. Yeah. Yeah, so I came back in March, 86. Um, yeah, and I moved in with, you know, because I went with my girlfriend. So different girlfriend from the one from the In Control one, different girlfriend. So moved in with her, got back. I had started a carpenter's apprenticeship somewhere in 85. So I continued with that. I was working carpentry, you know, I moved to Ojai up in the hills and was living in Ojai and just kind of doing my thing. And then, um, it was pretty early on when I got back cause the metal thing didn't last very long. It was probably 86, 87. Okay. And, um, so sometime in early 86, I get a call from Larry White. Hey man, you know, like, and I'm like, yeah, what's up dude? You know? And he's like, man, let's get the band back together. You know, it's like a blues brothers moment. We're yeah. getting the band back together. And he goes, he goes, yeah, man, I got this idea. He goes, I got these young cats, man. These guys, you know, you know, Tim Harkins from, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, these guys are young, like a lot younger than us. So Tim Harkins, he's one, I mean, I think he just won an Academy Award for some musical or some, or no, a Grammy or something for some, I think with corn or some, band like he's he's ended up becoming a uh, an awesome sound engineer i don't know if he owns his own studio in la or works at a but um anyways this guy could play a guitar and <laughs> this guy could play a guitar and then the other dude we got was this guy tony um tony um tony black who is this like <laughs> six foot eight you know long curly red hair, you know, dude that could play a bass. Like, I mean, the guy went to like fine art school. Like he, he's a classically trained, you know, cello player or something like this guy's like, so these are two phenomenal musicians. Sure. And he, he's Tony Blackstone on to play. He played, played for many years. He lives in North Carolina and, and was in the band for, um, you know, some famous country Western, um, singer, like, I want to say Kenny Rogers, but no, it was, but somebody like that. Sure. And so, yeah, anyway, so anyway, anyways, I'm, I'm digressing badly, but so these two guys, so Larry says, I got these two guys and, um, and then he says, call Chuck. So I call Chuck. Yeah. Chuck's going to do lead guitar. And so that's, you know, ta-da, we've got, you know, Stalag 13, Mark II, the, the metal years or the metal year. Yeah. And so, um, we start jamming out at this, um, this old abandoned school that was, I think turned into a car yard or something in, 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 um, in Western Tura off, um, off the Avenue. And we start jamming there and it's like, it's just this full on metal trip, man. We're like, and we had all been getting into metal, man. I'll tell you, like, sure. you know, we bought, we bought, um, you know, um, kill them all by Metallica, man. We all went, I think we went to the record store together and bought it. And we were just like, we were just listening to this over and over at Larry's house after practice, man, you know, and, 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 you know, we got into Venom. We, you know, we got Celtic Frost, man. That was a real inspiration. Yeah. Early Celtic Frost, man. We just played that 
shit to death. So we were getting into metal anyway. So that was probably, you could probably hear that. I mean, if you could hear some of the recordings that we did, because we did do another recording. Yeah, I as I like it. previous, but oh, you have it cool, and um and um yeah, so all of this like we were kind of getting into the shit anyways, and um and, you know definitely I'll put it down to to Metallica's Kill 'Em All, and we used to see those guys at gigs, you know, like we we'd see Kirk Hammett and, and and that you know like we'd go down to um you know when we would play in, in San Francisco they would go to punk shows man and we and they were cool dudes they were punks in my eyes you know and um. Yeah, so we so that you know so we were just jamming it out and we started playing and you know it was it was pretty trippy like um, some people loved it some people hated it you know but we were playing with um, we played with COC then and I mean it was actually ironically and you know man look I've got to say man I got to do a shout out to Reed Mullen man you know the guy passed away he was one fucking awesome dude. He was a, a, a real class act, that guy, man. Loved that guy. And I, w- I was actually, you know, this is a, a kind of an unknown story. As the metal kind of style I was waning, I was asked by Reed and um, Woody to join COC because they had, they had a, a, a break in singers. And, um, and I was, you know, you know and they were like, yeah, man, you know, come and sing for us. We'd love to have you. And, um, you know, and I was going to go to North Carolina and I, you know, I just balked because of my girlfriend at the time, which is, you know, kind of lame when I look back on it and, you know, one of the sliding door moments, but, um, yeah, Reed Mullen, awesome guy, you know, RIP and, you know, those dudes stayed at my house cause we played with them at the Oxnard roller rink and they were great guys, great band. So we're playing with all these awesome bands, you know, but I don't know. It, it just, something wasn't there. Like, you know, Musically, you know, those guys could play awesome. You know, it, it was, you know, you know, lyrically, I don't know, man, I was on some weird trip, you know, but I mean, uh, Evan Sterling, um, who played in various bands and was you know, this, 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 this guy from Ojai, who's now like the marketing manager of Thrasher magazine, or he has been for like the last 20 years or something. Um, awesome dude. He wrote the lyrics to that song, City Wheels, that's on that, mm-hmm. that metal. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that, that was, that was that we were doing this kind of metal thing and yeah, it was kind of weird. It was, um, I don't know if it was super well received, you know, I don't know. What, what, what do you hear on the grapevine about it? <laughs> well, it, I mean, it was a mystery for a long time. It was hard for people of my generation to yeah. track it down. I only got it probably a year ago. So, and, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm 40 now. So, uh, oh, okay. Okay. yeah. So it was just always kind of like a mystery out there. Like did Stalag really do a heavy metal demo and. And did they yeah, re-record yeah, all the yeah. songs like in heavy metal style? But you only re-recorded yeah, one did. song. Yeah. You just re-recorded uh, yeah. No Excuses, I think. Yeah, I think No Excuses, yeah, yeah. And then the other ones are new yeah. songs, so it's kind of hard to, to yeah. compare. But uh, it's it's ambitious. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a nine-minute song on there. Yeah, I think that um, City Wheels kind of yeah. keeps going. Like, it's a long song in itself, and then it keeps going. And then I, I, I named the song Into the Void, and you know, and, and, and they were like, man, but that's the Sabbath song. I got like, ah, fuck Sabbath, man. This is my own Into the Void. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So that lasts about a year then. And yeah, then, that lasted, yeah, probably, I would say, yeah, about a year. Probably, you know, early to mid-86 to probably, you know, mid-87. Yeah, it was all over. Like, I don't know, I just don't think we were getting a vibe. Like, I don't know. You know, we were meant to play some shows. We played the show at Oxnard 
community center mm-hmm. and um, where we had a smoke machine and this, you know, big metal intro that went for, you know, you know, about nine minutes before I even came on stage. And I don't know, man, it was funny. And when we were playing that set, I did this big jump and I came down and I just really fucking twisted my knee and <laughs> swelled up like a grapefruit. We were meant to do, I think that was a Friday night and we were meant to do like a string of shows in LA and Orange County, like Saturday, Sunday. And I couldn't do it, man. I just said, dude, I can't, you know, I can barely walk, man. I'm, you know. yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't even remember what happened. And then we played with, um, I remember, you know, here now me dissing bands. We, we played in Santa Barbara with, um, Agent Orange and, and, and they were the biggest dicks, man. <laughs> like, yeah. like they're, you know, hey, man, we're Agent Orange, fuck off here, you guys. And, you know, I was like, eh. And, um, and then I think one of our last shows we played in, again in Santa Barbara with Doggy Style. Mm hmm. And um, Brian Baker from um, from uh, Minor Threat was, you know, there on guitar. And we, we, we did these, like, a lot of really super good shows. And, and yeah, just, again, it was one of those that just kind of fizzled. Yeah. And and then you move yeah, out of like, the country. I, you move out of the country in 89. Yeah, yeah. So what, what happened? So, that, so that's kind of mid-87, I think. Oh yeah, probably even early '87 because what what happened was um, my girlfriend at the time. So um, she, um, her parents, um, me and me and my girlfriend were going to go back to Europe, and then, um, um, and then and then her my girlfriend's parents say, "Oh, like we'll pay for your guys' trip if you take you know your little you know um, you know my girlfriend's little sister with you because she was you know a bit of a bit of a, a pain and they didn't want her going on the family holiday so <laughs> we had to babysit my girlfriend you know who was I think at that stage about I don't know, I think she was about 15 or something <laughs> so you know so we, we go off to Europe and you know we're looking after this girl and that was a wild trip man I had a, we, we had a great time you know man we, we went out we, we did some crazy shit and then we hooked up with these friends we knew from Ohio and and like their son was about, I don't know, 14 or 15 or something as well. And like, I, I take them all to, we're going to a Uroy concert, you know, we're going to see Uroy in, in, in Rome in this place called Roma AUR. So that like, it's, it's, you know, probably about 15, 20 kids outside Rome and, you know, it's in this big stadium thing. And so we go to this, you know, this, this, this reggae concert and, you know, of course they're passing the passing the jays and you know everyone's having a big party and sure. and then and then we and then when the when the, when it's over man we've missed the last train home so we have to kind of hitchhike to get home and this guy kicks us up in this fiat 500 and this kind of weird hippie dude man and he just takes us all over rome on this tour of rome and he buys his heinekens and 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 chocolate eclairs and we just have this great time kind of yeah. Anyway, sorry, that's not not solid to accumulate. <laughs> no, but I was having fun in Europe, so I bailed to Europe. So I'm in Europe so at that stage, and then you know I break up with that girl from there, and so I'm in Europe, so '87, and all of '88. So that yeah, tail end of '87, all of '88, and into um, yeah, till the end of '88. I think I come home um, like towards the end of '88. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. And, and then when I'm overseas, yeah, when I'm overseas as well, um, you know, because we, you know, we were pen pals with lots of bands, you know, lots of different folks. And, you know, even a guy here, um, this guy who played in this band, Civil Dissident in Melbourne, Australia, this guy named David Ross, who I'm friends with now. Like I, I see him 
Um, I haven't caught up with him for a while, but he played in this band, Civil Dissident. We used to be pen pals, and when I came here, you know, I kind of reconnected with him. And But anyways, long story short, I, I was um, really good um, pen friends with um, the guys in Nagatiaion, okay. um, the, you know, the band from Torino, Italy. Sure. And um, so I kind of, um, with their bass player, Marco Matthew. I had um, arranged that I was going to roadie for them on this. They were doing this big European tour, you know, like kind of, you know, 40, 50 shows or something. And I was going to roadie for them because I was living in the UK at this stage. So I basically, I backpacked for about six months. Then I went and worked in the UK at a pizzeria for about nine months and then went backpacking again. And so on this, what was meant to be the second lot of backpacking, I was meant to be, you know, touring with, you know, Negozione. And um, so I was going to meet up with them at Club Perdisa in Amsterdam. And I was staying at this juice hostel. And there was this um, woman there who, you know, I, I, I remember I would see her around the hostel. And I was like, oh, yeah, she, she looks a lot, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know. I thought she was German. Like, I didn't, you know, kind of know who she was. And um, and then we're, me, and so Ismael was with me, Ismael Hernandez, you know, from Dr. Nine. And he's with me. So we're going to, you know, go and be the roadies for this band. And um, long story short, we're, we're, we go to eat at this restaurant somewhere in Amsterdam um, before the show. Um, this girl turns up at this restaurant, this blonde-haired, blue-eyed thing from the youth hostel. And so I start talking to her, and, you know, it turns out she's Australian. And um, so, we, you know, we hit it off, man, and we're just talking. And, you know, I'm no longer straight edge at this stage. So, I'm, you know, we're talking, you know, I'm drinking, we're drinking, talking, drinking, talking. We end up talking till about three, four in the morning and, you know, go back to the hostel together and, you know, and so, you know, I miss the band. <laughs> Again, sure. another sliding door <laughs> moment. Don't know what have happened had I toured with Negaziane. I might have been in an Italian punk band or a French punk band or a German punk band. Who knows? But, um, so kind of like COC, I missed the boat for, for a woman. And, um, anyways, that's how I ended up in Australia. So I, um, um, no longer with her. That lasted four years. But um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I, you know, I kind of, you know, finished like I went backpacking all around Europe with her. And then I went back home in, yeah, the very end of 88. Um, kind of was at my parents' house, you know, they had, you know, was back on carpentry, saving up some money. Um, and then in December, very December 21st, 1988. I, you know, my parents take me to LAX and I fly out to Melbourne, Australia and, uh, you know, lived here, you know, since. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, um, yeah. So I was with my, with this girl for about four years, got my residency based off, you know, kind of fiance visa or whatever. So I was, you know, became a permanent resident and stayed on. Then after we split up, I was going to go home. And my dad was like, no, nah, no, nah, man, stay there, man. Sounds like a better country, better lifestyle. And, and look, you know, I was able, you know, I mean, I, I owe a debt of gratitude to Australia because, you know, their, you know, our higher education system is pretty accessible and friendly. It's pretty cheap. And so I was able to get an arts degree, arts, an arts degree with honors for, I think I paid a whopping 13000 Australian dollars for that. Um, you know, I've subsequently gone on to, you know, finish my PhD and I'm an academic and, you know, so that's, that's, you know, been my, that's my story. Yeah. There, there was just a couple other, uh, things I wanted to touch on, but I'm, I'm glad you actually, yeah, ra- sure. you wrapped that up really, really nicely. Um, cause yeah, you, you, Thank you. 
you moved to Australia and it was a good choice. You ended up getting your PhD and your academic. So yeah, the story has yeah. a happy ending. So, you know, it's a happy, yeah, yeah, it's a happy punk rock ending. You know, you know? yeah. And, and and I always tell people, and this is a, a total truism. I mean, academia is you know it's made for punk rockers, man. It's you know it's made for those that don't fit in normative places. And look, it's it's a it's an industry or a culture or an institution that has changed a lot. You know, we're we're as like most institutions, we're not immune to the kind of neoliberal agenda that's, you know, kind of taken hold in the world, but it is still, there's a modicum of individuality, there's a modicum of autonomy, there's a modicum of DIY, you know, it, it is a very punk rock profession, I would have to say. Because you're questioning authority, and you're doing it with journal articles rather than lyrics. You know, that's how I see it. You know, I'm still writing. I'm still, you know, you know, fighting the system, fighting the good fight, but, you know, um, just in a different, different way. So to me, it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a career that really suits, you know, it, it's an extension of, of the kind of punk hardcore mindset. Yeah, that's cool. So one thing I wanted to ask about was uh, in 93, you get bootlegged by Lost and Found. Was that completely, mm-hmm. do you know anything about that? Like how that came about? <sighs> just when somebody, you know, like said, you know, I, I was speaking to somebody and they go, Hey man, have you seen that? Or, yeah. or, um, or no, it was actually a dude. Cause I, I think I started my, oh no, no. Yeah. 93. I think I was in second year uni. Yeah. I think I was in the second year, first year of university. And, um, and there was, you know, this kind of punk kid in my class and we became friends and he's going, Hey man, you, uh, you, you got this thing out on lost and found. And I go, Oh, do we? Yeah. <laughs> But so they were no, they no, were no, huge. So they were huge. So I mean yeah. that that really had to add to kind of Stalag's reach. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because they were out of Germany. Like they lost some time. Yeah, something like that. And and yeah. that that was you yeah. know that record was out of press. You know from you know eighty four eighty five all the way until Doctor Strange did it again in two thousand two. Yeah. So we would have to yeah. track down yeah. that lost and found record, and it kind of made it accessible yeah. to the people of my generation that got into punk in the nineties. Yeah, I mean, that's cool. Look, I, I mean, I really don't have any truck with that. It's like, okay, cool, you know? I mean, because as you say, it, it definitely would have contributed to our kind of longevity, our reach, our, you know, and, you know, so it's, yeah, but no, I knew nothing about it, you know? Yeah, and then also in... in I, I know nothing about a lot of things. Well, <laughs> so in, in 94, uh, Libke starts the band again, Joey Libke with yeah, yeah. with Blake, and they do the Conviction yeah. record. Blake, yeah. Do you have... yeah. Did you have any opinion on that at the time? Yeah, well, I, I do. <laughs> I did, and I do. Um, Blake had contacted me, and you know, was like, "Oh, dude, what are you doing?" And I go, "Well, my life's here, man. I live here." You know, at that stage, I was married. You know, first marriage that didn't last, and you know, I had kids, and I'm like, you know, I, I go, "I've got a life here, man." Like he's like, "Dude, can make him play, man." And I'm like, "Well, I can't." And, and and he was like, oh, okay, because I really want to get this band going. And then that was it. Like, I spoke to him a few times about it, and and then I don't hear anything. And then I think it was my sister. One of my sisters rang me and said, do you know there's this band style getting around? And and I go, no. And then I, yeah, I think somebody sent me the album they did, the Conviction. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, look, frankly, I thought it was, look, frankly, I thought it was underhanded because I wasn't told about it or asked or, 
you know, I mean, you know, and that's where I go, this is my band, you know, I mean, that's, I make no bones about it. I mean, you know, whoever, if they want to, you know, if the band now want to dispute it, that's fine, but this is my band. And, you know, um, uh, you know, they, they, they're playing now with my good graces, you know, I, I told John Creer, yeah, man, do it, knock yourself out, man. And, you know, and look, and, you know, I, I do, you know, I'll be quite honest. Sometimes I get a little bit, you know, like I see him touring in Japan or I see him touring Europe and, you know, I go, look, good on you, but that shit we should have did when we were 20, not 50, you know? And, sure. and I, and, and I'll be honest, I hold a little bit of bitterness about, you know, all that shit that happened in 85, that we were, we were there, man, you know, this was before Nirvana, we were on the cusp of something big and, you know, and in my mind, they let it go, you know, Blake quits, John and Larry walk away. And, um, you know, it, it was a could have been, you know, rather than what should have been. So, you know, uh, you know, in all honesty, yeah, so, you know, like, I, you know, I said, I have no truck with them playing now. That's cool. You know, it, it gives, you know, Blake, you know, imminent pride and you know I'm, I'm happy for them you know they you know um and that's cool john creer is like narcore through and through so you know he's carrying on the tradition that's awesome but you know there is you know sometimes it is a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow because i'm like you know well you know like i said we should have done this when we were kids not you know as old men <laughs> yeah no, it's, it's but, just yeah. hard to it's hard to have the hindsight when you're in your early 20s though yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so and, so, and, and, yeah, and most guys, bands, yeah, yeah. unfortunately, most bands end up like that, right? What could have been? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Totally. I get it. You know? And I mean, yeah, with the conviction thing, yeah, I was a little bit put off like that because I wasn't asked. I wasn't, I wasn't asked. I wasn't consulted. It just kind of appeared. And frankly, look, you know, I mean, that guy, Robbie, you know, you know, this is, you know, me, you know, like, uh, I don't think he, he didn't speak to me personally. And, uh, I don't think there was lyrically very strong um or sorry vocally very strong the, the you know the instrumentally you know it's a pretty good recording it's you know that i think the one of the guys justin one of the other guitarists on it he's you know pretty good guitarist but um yeah that one's a, another bitter pill blake and i just don't talk about that <laughs> yeah yeah well, but your friends still yeah 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 well i mean you know I'm, well you came uh, you, you came know, and we're, did those shows yeah, I can't look. I've come and done the shows. Um, you know, we're we're friends on Facebook. You know, I you know if I if I'm in Southern California, I, I touch base with those guys. Um, you know, John Morris, we're you know I'm pretty tight with. Um, mainly John and and John and Blake, um, Larry. You know, like you know, I, you know he, he he's a good guy, but I don't know. It's funny. Like I don't know. You know, it's kind of, you know. But yeah, I do touch base. I mean, and yeah, we have done those shows. Like we, um, we did when Doctor Strange released, um, re-released this in control. We we did that tours with Doctor No or No that they as they were called then, or now or whatever. I don't know. Um, up the West Coast. Yeah. Kind of replicated '85, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that that was good fun. But it was really when we went back in 2012, and and that was that was really good in 2000. Whoa. Yeah, that was great. That's when I, I saw you. So we, my band missed you when you came back in '02, because we were on tour, oh, yeah. um, oh, right. and my band was called In Control. So, oh, oh, you're in you're in In Control. Okay, uh, yeah, you was, guys were from Oxnard, though, yeah. Yeah, of course. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, because I met your um, I met your singer at um, at oh, I, well, I think I think at one of those shows at Rock City in Cameroon. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And yeah, yeah. And Ryan yeah. and and he sang in Stalag for a, a a tiny bit of time before John came in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. So yeah. But that's, that's right. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. You can piece it all together. Yeah. But yeah, we were so bummed because yeah. we're oh, like, well, thanks for, th- Hey, thanks for, um, for, for naming your band after our album and using the, the, the font and everything. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's homage, man. You know, I appreciate that. Yeah. I thought it was the right way to do it at the time because like, yeah. you know, nar- I don't know. Narcore at the time was like mostly just people writing, you know, the symbol on their binder or whatever, you know? And we're like, no, this yeah. is we have yeah, to yeah. we have to throw this back and and pay homage to like the you know the people that put it here you know and and our our no, goal, cool. our I goal totally that, yeah and our goal of that band was to put it back on the map and and most people would say that yeah. that we did a pretty good job at that. Um, I would say you did. I mean, I think you like you know did. I mean, no joke. I've 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 been in classes because you know I teach. Um, you study sociology. I teach criminology, um, and I remember I was teaching a first year sociology class. And you know, I always have, you know, because we cover subcultures. And I go, "Who's in a subculture? Who? What is a subculture? Who identifies?" You know. And I mean, funnily enough, most people don't think that they don't think about subcultures anymore. But I'm digressing badly. But I had a kid, you know, one of my students who's like, a, you know, I said, "Oh yeah, you know, like when we get on the subculture, I go, yeah, I used to play in a band, and you know, this was, you know, really." formative part of my life and you know i would say it's kind of marked me and you know and um and, and you know and, and uh, sometimes i tell them outright sometimes i give them hints and they go away and google it and this kid went away and googled me and he goes fuck no way you're a nardcore i love nardcore man i've got all the albums and he's like asking me all these questions and i've I, i've had that experience like multiple times you know um, sure you know, like I remember, I was at the gym at at Melbourne Uni working out, and and, and I've seen that I've seen this guy come in a couple of times, and and he's covered in tats, and you know, and I and I, and I see he's got the X's, and you know, straight edge, and, and so I go, oh, I go, I gotta go and talk to this guy, you know. So I go, oh, hey man, you know what's up? And he goes, oh, cool, yeah, I'm, you know, whatever his name, Marcus, I'm from Germany, and I go, oh, cool, yeah, I noticed you, you know, you got the straight edge, said, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, really into hardcore in the '90s, and you know, still am, you know. I'm here doing a, I think he was there doing a PhD or something. And, and um, you know, long story short, I said, oh, yeah, I used to play in a band. Yeah, what band song? Oh, my God. The guy freaked out. Man. He grabbed <laughs> my hand. He's shaking my hand. He's, like, shaking my hand for about 20 minutes the whole time we're talking. Yeah. And he's like, you don't understand. This is like, this is like, you know, like like meeting Mick Jagger for most people, man. You are like my hero. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was just going, dude, I can't believe I'm in my, you know, I think at that stage I was like, you know, 48, 49, and, you know. <laughs> I think we can credit the loss yeah, and fa- you know, the loss of found bootleg that. for that guy. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. You know? So yeah, so it's kinda of, you know, so yeah, so I'm I'm still cool with those guys, you know. Like I said, we hook up and you know, and you know, it is what it is. And you know, I I should probably let go of my bitterness, but yeah. Yeah, it's just hard to it's hard, you know, thinking about what was, but I think they're doing a good job of, of carrying it on and keeping it alive and and the guys in the band, yeah. they do a great job. And like you said, John, you know, no one can say a bad thing about that guy. He's like, oh, look, dude. I mean, like, you know, I met I met him at because um, I love their, you know, the, what, what was the band he played in? The, um, Missing Twenty Third. Oh, he's played no. Sorry, the Missing Twenty Third. Yeah, Missing Twenty Third, and then he was in another band. Stop breathing. Um, stop breathing. 
Yeah, because he gave me a Stop Breathing CD, and I love that CD, man. I play it all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, I remember speaking to him at yeah, it was one of the Rock City shows I think we did in 2012, and 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 you know, and he was just such a cool dude, and he was like, you know, really respectful, and like, oh, you guys, you know, you guys are, you know, are awesome. You're such an awesome band, and you know, and and when um when you know when Blake told me he was joining, I was like, man, I mean, yeah, I told Blake, man, I I said, you know, I think by a messenger, I said you know, you've got my total, you know, that's cool. You've got my support, like knock yourselves out, you know, but I liked it. I appreciate it. I mean, I will say I really appreciate it. They did ask me yeah. like, do you mind if we keep playing, you know, do you mind if we get, you know, John singing? And I was like, totally cool with that. Yeah. That rules. You know, and I, and I, you know, that that's, you know, I'm glad they're carrying it on. I'm glad they're, you know, you know, like, Hey man, let the next generation, you know, hear it, you know, I would love to, you know, like, you know, look, no, Jack, I mean, I would love to be involved. I would love to play again. I, you know, uh, you know, I, I mean, you know, ironically, man, I mean, I've, I've just become a grandfather actually in September. My, um, my, my daughter's had, had, had a little boy and her, um, her partner's, um, a, a drummer in like kind of hardcore and punk bands, you know, here in Australia. And, and we kind of hit it off like a, you know, like a house on fire, just, you know, talking about, yeah. you know, music. And, you know, and I remember talking to him once and I was, you know, and he's going, oh, yeah, that's so cool. And I remember talking about playing and, you know, it, it's like there, you know, and I, and I said to him, I go, there's nothing like, man, that, that, those, those seconds and milliseconds before you play, you know, yep. when, when, when you, you go up on the stage and, and, and you can, you know, the tension in the air, you know, everyone knows what's going to happen. They know it's coming, you know, particularly if they know your songs and, you know, and, and, you know, and and just, you know, and I said, I had this ritual, I would grab the mic and I would wrap the cord around, you know, my, I hold the mic in my right hand and I'd wrap the cord viscerally around my hand about three or four times, stretch the cord out. I'd look at Blake, look at John, look at Larry we would go, you know, and yeah. that was, you know, and that, that's like, that, that is like a religious experience to me. I yeah. Agree. And then, you know, you know, and I mean, you, you know, you know the feeling. Man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it's bad. never gone away. It's never gone away. I get nervous yeah. before I no, play every and time. Still to this day, man, you know, I'm 55 years old and to this day, man, I, you know, like I, I you know, I love to play, and, you know, I'd love to, you know, if, you know, if things had transpired differently and I was, you know, in L.A., yeah, I would, you know, I would still play with those guys. But, you know, unfortunately, it's kind of hard to have a, that long distance, you know. I mean, you know, again, if we were big enough to where it's like, oh, if you fly over, we'll pay you $10,000, you know, sure. yeah, you, you, you would probably do it. But when you're flying over for, you know, they're paying for your airfare and that's it and the band gets about 500 bucks, it's not really worth it, you know. So yeah. I don't begrudge them that, you know. You know, it's cool that they're still playing. Well, maybe in uh, yeah. 2024, we do a 40th anniversary yeah, yeah, of uh, yeah, In Control. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'd be into that, you know. I, I remember when, um, you know, it was, uh, I don't know, the dude who, who runs an Omegadon, man, I didn't realize, again, he was like a kid, man. I mean, the guy was like 20 years old or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Or 22 or something, you know, whoever the promoter was of that. And I remember he, he, he called me. I don't know how he got my number. no. <laughs> And uh, it says, oh, dude, what would it take to um, get you to, you know, I, I run this show, this, 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 this festival called Now Megadon, and what would he get you to play? And I go, well, an air ticket would be helpful for starters. And he's like, okay, we'll make it happen. 
and you know and that, that that was that was that was pretty awesome you know had a good time doing that shit yeah super cool well ron i think yeah. uh i think we touched on almost everything yeah cool you did um, a, did a great job yeah i could keep talking for another two hours but you know you probably your listeners probably don't want to you know Hey, I'm, I'm not, I'm not above a part. I'm not above a part two. So, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do a part two. Yeah. I'm sure that, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll come across other topics that I'd love to have you chime in on and, uh, you know, you yeah. help, help yeah. paint the picture. Yeah. Cool. I mean, that's, look, it's one thing I remember. I know, um, you know, the, the, the guys installed, they were going to do, I don't know, a, a, I don't know. Some, some guy wanted to write a book on them or something or, and and they kind of met with them, and, and I mean it was kind of ironic or funny, but the, you know they didn't really know the history of the band, you know, they, and they're gonna oh, you have to talk to Ron, and um, and yeah, I kind of thought that was funny, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Well, now they can just tune but, yeah, into I'm, I'm, uh, they can just tune into 185 miles south, and uh, well, there, yeah, they they they've got the story. Though. I mean, one of these days I want to write a book, you know, that's that's yeah, uh, yeah. Because you know, I mean, uh, ironically, my, my one of my first PhD topics I was going to do, I was going to write a history of Southern California punk, and um, you know, I met with the supervisor who I knew quite well, and she was like, "Dude, you live this. Why do you want to? Why do you want to write a PhD where you're governed by all these academic conventions? Why don't you just tell your story and write a book?" And I go, "Yeah, you're probably right. I should do that." So, uh, you know, stay tuned. I might write a book, but um, but before then, I'm happy to talk to you again. But um, thanks, Heath, for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. It's, it, it yeah, thank you Sorry, for being so uh, generous with your time. Yeah, no, not a problem. Man. And uh, so, Ron, I gotta, I gotta ask. I, I end them all this way. Uh, do you feel like you've been well represented? What uh, generally? Yeah, do, no, on the pod. Do you feel like you've been well represented? Oh, oh, uh, yeah, cool, yeah, for sure, yeah, cool. yeah, good, yeah. That makes me feel yeah, good. No, good. Yeah, I, I, I hope I haven't said anything too bad. <laughs> no, you've been great. <laughs> hope but, I haven't. I hope I haven't dissed anybody too badly, but you know, apologies if, if I've upset anyone. But yeah, no, no problem, man. Thanks a lot. Dad. Hey, if there's if there's ever beef, we can hash it out here on the air. Um, yeah, yeah, cool. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll be the peacekeeper. It. Yeah, we'll do a talk back, and you can moderate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks cool. so much, Ron. I will circle soon and let you know when this is going to air. All right, thanks a lot, man. Take All care. Right. Thanks so much. Goodbye. Have a good one. All right, bye.